0: quick sound test. This is transition from tea to tequila. <laughs> How do you feel about that decision?
1: I'm pretty excited. <laughs>
0: and off we go. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before
1: my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question?
2: Now would it an appropriate time? What if I did the opposite?
1: I'm a cybernetic organism living tissue over a metal
3: endoskeleton.
0: and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com/slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS. As in Tim Ferris Show. AthleticGreens.com slash TFS. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls, this is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where I interview some of the world's top performers, whether that be in investing, sports, entrepreneurship, or otherwise, film, art, you name it, to extract the tools and resources and habits and routines that you can use. And in this episode, I have the pleasure in beautiful San Francisco to interview an icon of tech, but you do not have to be involved with tech, or even understand tech, to get a lot out of this conversation. Matt Mullenweg is one of my close friends. He's been named one of PC World's top 50 people on the web, Inc.com's 30 Under 30, and Business Week's 25 Most Influential People on the Web. Why, you might ask, has he received all of these accolades? Well, he's a young guy, but he is best known as a founding developer of WordPress the open-source software that powers more than 22% of the entire web. It's huge. (laughs) He's also the CEO of Automatic, which is valued at more than $1 billion and has a fully distributed team of hundreds of employees around the world. However... Matt started off as a barbecue-chopping Texas boy. So how did this all come together? It certainly was not the grand vision from day one at all. And Matt is an incredible human being. He's a gifted musician. He is uh, able to eat more than 100 Chicken McNuggets in one sitting, and we'll talk about why and how he did that. And we really dig into the specifics of how he hires, what he looks for in people. We get really, really nitty gritty into his favorite books, his routines, music, habits, work style. He's one of the most productive people I've ever met in my life. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode be prepared to take notes, but if you want all the links and resources and everything else, of course, you can find them, as always, in the show notes. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast, or just go to fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and click on podcast, and that'll take you to the show notes. So without further ado, please enjoy Matt Mullenweg. Matt, sir, welcome to the show. Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> so let's explain the howdy, howdy. <laughs> because there's some context missing Of course we know each other Where's the howdy from? Uh, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas Fine state it is a fine, The greatest state. country in the world <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you've taught me a great many things Related to barbecue Related to photography So thank you for that You got me very interested in photography And we've traveled a lot together But for those people who don't know who you are When, uh, when someone asks you Matt, what do you do? How do you answer that these days?
1: I'm probably best known for once eating 104 chicken nuggets in one sitting. Are you serious?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I did not know. How old are you? Was that like last week? Now you won't forget it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then on the side, I do uh, work on an open source publishing platform called WordPress, which powers such amazing sites, such as the four-hour everything for Tim. That's true. And others like? New York Times, Wall Street Journal, um, about 23% of all websites now are in WordPress.
0: That's amazing. And uh, how did WordPress start, for people who don't know the origin story? Sure. Uh, Well, it's an open source project, and it actually started
1: uh, as a fork or a derivative of of an already existing open source project. So there was this thing out there called B2, which um, I was using and blogging with myself, and the, the creator disappeared, so the development stopped. And myself and this guy in England named Mike Little... Picked it up and kept working on it. How old were you at the time? 19. 19. And were
0: you self taught from, from the standpoint of programming?
1: Yeah, I tried to take some classes in school and they were just all terrible. So, uh, with programming, especially open source programming, like the web was the best place to learn it.
0: And what made the classes terrible? I'm, I'm, just, I'm always curious. Why, oh. why did they fail? Why did they not appeal to you?
1: Well, I didn't go to a great school to start with. I was at <laughs> University of Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an amazing high school experience. Uh, high school for the performing and visual arts. One of the best experiences of my life. But then I stayed in Houston. U of H was all right, but uh, the computer classes in particular, I think like 20 or 30 years ago, Microsoft basically changed their curriculums or influenced the curriculums of many of these colleges. So even though this was 2002 to 2003, you know, the web had already happened, you know right it was a thing, yeah, <laughs> but they're still teaching you like Microsoft Visual Basic, and like you're building like buttons on windows apps
0: sounds sounds really uh <laughs> white knuckle stuff <laughs> exciting <laughs> and so you so you began working on this fork, and could you explain what open source means? Sure for people who aren't familiar with it open source
1: is for me, the most important idea I've been exposed to in my lifetime, actually. Uh, So think of open source like a bill of rights for software. And I think this is incredibly important now that more and more of our lives are influenced or governed by software. It basically says that here's uh, four freedoms that are inalienable rights you have when you use open source software. And the license that WordPress is under, the GPL, says you have the freedom to use the software for any purpose. So that means you can make a Matt has a funny hair blog, if you want, or you can... Oh, you found it. (laughs) Or whatever you like. Um, You can see how the software works. You can modify the software. And then you can distribute those modifications to your friends. And this sounds pretty basic and trivial, but a lot of what we use, it would be the equivalent of if you opened the hood of your car and there was just a black box and you could be fined or go to jail for trying to modify things for tampering with it yeah
0: or trying to understand it and let's uh so you you're working on this fork at what point does it become wordpress from the beginning actually so with a capital w and a capital p for everyone wondering that if you want to (laughs) i don't see mac get angry much but if you want to really hit one of his pet peeves it's the lowercase
1: p (laughs) the lowercase p actually it's not possible to write wordpress with an uppercase w and a lowercase p On WordPress (laughs) as it should be as it should be it'll
0: auto correct it I also feel badly for every transcendental meditation teacher and I I brought up I was like does it bother you when your TM always turns into a a (laughs) trademark symbol and they're like oh my god how did you know (laughs) yeah well they need their own platform evidently uh so when did it become WordPress when was it when was it christened WordPress
1: uh, the name actually was one of the first things we came up with. A friend in Houston uh, named Christine had the idea for the name, and um, she checked that the .org was available, and I registered it that day. And that really brought it together because B2 slash Cafe Log. If you have a slash in your name, something wrong in the <laughs> beginning. But um, WordPress, I just liked it from the moment I heard it. I was like, oh, this feels like something that has a little bit of gravitas, but still is pretty accessible. And um, the focuses in the early days, which kind of distinguished us from what we were uh, forked from, were focus on web standards, um, cleaning up the code, making sure that what we were outputting was really uh, tight, and then installation. So, it created something called the famous five-minute installation.
0: Um, So, the standards would be like, and I'm using maybe a sloppy metaphor, but... Making sure that the the grammar and everything is standard so that it can have the widest adoption and tinkering possible? It was more at the time, the web platforms,
1: you would build a website for Netscape, and you would build a website for Internet Explorer, Hmm. and you'd use different code for both, or sites would work with one and not the other. I see. So, web standards would create a common platform between them. Got it. And the the installation ended up being the biggest thing. We called it the famous five-minute install, even though it was neither famous. (laughs) It's famous to the two of you guys. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But... (laughs) It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Because people said, oh, it's, it's famous, and it's only five minutes. And competitive software at the time would take 30 minutes, an hour to set up. And also, that's how some of our uh, contemporaries like Moveable Type made their money in the beginning, is you could pay them to install it for you. Hmm. So their economic incentive was not to make the installation easier. <laughs> so we just uh, came in with that from the beginning, and it was really appealing to folks.
0: So you were, right, simplifying to get the... Well, it's very interesting because you were open source at the mm-hmm. time. You did not have a profit motive. Nope. And therefore, you were not incentivized to complicate the profit. And like, there were no golden handcuffs. Right. Nothing like a, to lose. Which is true for a, a lot of industries. Pro, uh, professional training, for instance, uh, is very much like that. There are Very few trainers are incentivized to make themselves unnecessary, hmm. right? To make themselves obsolete. So they'll have a rotating schedule and different types of... Mesocycles and so on that keep you tethered to an ongoing program of training. What's a mesocycle? Well, you you can have different types of cycling. For instance, uh, if you're leading up to a powerlifting competition or a wedding, uh, a trainer <laughs> could the same very thing. similar. Uh, you always want to look like a powerlifter, especially if you're a lady for your wedding. <laughs> uh, you can you can cycle the type of training. So you might have, let's just say, arbitrarily uh, 70% of your one rep max mm-hmm. and you work between 70 and 75% of your one rep max for a four to eight week period or something like that. And then you go into a new cycle, which mm-hmm. is, uh, I'm making this up again, but like 90% of your one rep max or between 85 and 90. Huh. And, uh, so that would be that that has a place, but I feel like just to, to bring it back to, to WordPress and, <laughs> is that, uh, I feel like the, the, the number one priority of any good physical training, trainer or nutritionist should be to uh, enable their client with the know-how and tools that make them themselves obsolete. Mm. Uh, so this complicate the profit is, is, is a real problem in a lot of industries.
1: What actually, so my favorite classes in college were the political science and philosophy ones. And because you think about systems instead of necessarily just and incentives versus uh, what works or what gets you to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, kind of like what you said, a personal trainer is not gonna be incented to put themselves out of a job. Um, can you create a system, something you've done with through your work where people can self-enable? And from the early days of WordPress, we would always think, okay, well, if we do X today, what does that result in tomorrow, a year from now? 10 years from now Mm -hmm. and it was kind of silly to think about 10 years from now but it's now 12 years old so
0: (laughs) (laughs) now did that long-term vision develop what were the components that helped you to develop that long-term view because you're a young guy I mean you still are despite the fact that you now have a three in front how (laughs) old are you now? Thirty-one as of last week. I was so tired of the under thirty awards that you were getting every <laughs> year. I was like, God, can this guy just turn thirty already? I feel badly about myself every year. It's award season, huh? Here we go. I'm all <laughs> again. But uh, what helped you to develop that that long term view besides maybe these these political you know poli-sci classes?
1: I think the uh, political science really really helps hmm. because any particular aspect or figure. I really loved uh, Thucydides it's actually a classic Um, he wrote uh, I think it was the Peloponnesian book about the Peloponnesian War Hmm. and he was one of the first what we see now as historians so he would go back and writing about this series of events we'll kind of look at the why and what was the environment which created these things rather than saying XYZ happened saying this is what the world was like and that caused XYZ to happen um, but the the metaphor I think of the most because it's simple is just like uh, the dog chasing the car. Right. Like, what does the dog do if he catches the car? <laughs> right. Doesn't have a plan for it. Yeah. So I find it just as often on the entrepreneurial side, people don't plan for success either. Hmm. Like, if we create a marketplace for plugins, right? What is the natural conclusion of that? If it's really really successful, um, well, if it's really really successful. There's not that many free plugins. It looks more like an app store on iOS or Android where everything's paid because that's what the incentives will be for the developers over the long term.
0: And so let me ask you, this is a a somewhat oblique question or unrelated seemingly, but do you, are there any hedge fund managers that you really get along with? You don't have to name them by name, but (laughs) Um, you could certainly. Our investors. (laughs) Okay. Who are some of your investors? Um, and we'll talk about what they've invested in since Tiger Global.
1: So there's an amazing guy Lee Fixell over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he works on the private side, not the public equity side, but it's a hedge fund at the end of the day. Uh, Insight, um, True
0: Ventures. We have some. We're actually been blessed from the very beginning with really great investors. I I know of a, a handful of hedge fund managers very closely who are extremely good. A lot of them are macro. They would describe themselves as sort of macro guys. Uh, which uh, I'll hope to go into another time, but the point being they are very good at looking at sort of primary effects, secondary effects, tertiary effects, and trying to trying to predict the various butterflies effect that can then inform a trade that other people aren't thinking uh, of or a position that other people aren't thinking of. Uh, I think you're very good at that. Um, what, if you had to call yourself world-class at something besides eating Chicken McNuggets, <laughs> what, what, would you, what would you say that is? Hmm.
1: It might be related to that because... The McNuggets? Uh, no, no, no. The, the thinking <laughs> of systems. Oh. Ah. Um, and sort of environments and ecosystems and how things sort of cascade. Because the, uh, you know, running an open source project, you know, the, the, the joking term is BDFL, so Benevolent Dictator for Life. It's technically my role within WordPress. But it's the most powerless dictatorship... Ever, <laughs> because uh, well, obviously you don't have an army, you don't have the ability to tax, uh, but you don't really have a carrot or a stick. Um, you're not paying people to do things, and you're not punishing them if they don't do things. So you really are in a position where you, the things you do have control over, like let's say the website, or how the code works, or the license, um, you have to think of the implications of that. And then it's really just the power of a bully pulpit. You know, once in what sense? So- It's uh, like the State of the Union speech is happening uh, from Obama. Uh, Once a year, I give a State of the Word speech Mm -hmm. and try to... That's at WordCamp. At WordCamp, yeah. I try to think, what are the things that have been influencing me and the things that won't happen naturally in the WordPress ecosystem that might need another push or might need to expose the community to something that they're not thinking about. So a lot of times at WordCamp San Francisco, I'll bring in speakers like yourself or other folks who aren't in the day-to-day WordPress
0: you know. Hub-a-bub. Right. Despite my best <laughs> efforts to muck things up. <laughs> I was very happy, very, very pleased that uh, our friend Nason was so kind at the Barbecue World Championships. <laughs> that sponsors a... Do you still sponsor a team there? I didn't last year. It's the first year I haven't been in a couple of years. All right. And Nason, uh, who's a tremendous developer, helped to build a plugin called Probation, which allows me to whitelist... Someone who leaves an, a good comment that has aspects of, of questionable behavior, whether it's <laughs> too much cursing, maybe attacking someone else, putting in too many links, um, which is a hugely helpful feature. so thank you, Nathan. Uh, and the, that customize that, that, that ability to customize has always appealed to me about WordPress. What are other uh, we can look at it through a different lens. What are some of the mistakes that would-be competitors to WordPress have made that prevented their wide wider spread adoption Hmm.
1: most of our uh most contemporary competitors so the wix.com squarespace etc they focus more on it being a service rather than it being something that's super extensible so for example that feature you just described um, will never be in core WordPress. <laughs> it will never be what? In core WordPress. Right. It's, um, you know, the, it's a relatively small audience. It's that an, edge case, it's an edge case, but useful for the edge case. Yeah. And you know what, to be honest, like other people who maybe have the same prominence as your blog, it would be useful for. So there is an audience out there, but it's not the tens of millions um, that use WordPress. So if you're building a service like WordPress.com or like Squarespace, one of these others, uh, because you essentially have one code base that everyone runs, you have to sort of design for the majority or what you think the majority is going to want or be. Uh, Where with WordPress, with its sort of infinite extensibility of themes and plugins, uh, there can be a million niches. And in fact, uh, with the way plugins are distributed for people that run WordPress themselves, almost no two are alike. Right. You know, when you think of the theme plus the plugins that each blog, each one's its own unique, beautiful snowflake.
0: (laughs) Right, so you're not trying to decide what the average shoe size is in the world and give everyone a nine. Uh, (laughs) So
1: our competitors will say, ah, it's this checklist of features and we're going to do these 10 things WordPress does and maybe we'll do this one better and this one better. And honestly, like a smart team of a couple developers could probably do that in a year. Um, But to replicate the 35,000 plus plugins and themes, it's sort of, it's a huge moat. I mean, it would take lifetimes.
0: And... At what point did you decide to create Automatic, WordPress.com?
1: Sure. So uh, I should say what Automatic is. Automatic's the company where I work. Um, Mm -hmm. I became CEO last year. And basically it's... They had to wait until you had a three in front of your name. (laughs) They had to wait until (laughs) I was 30, yeah. (laughs) Um, So it was basically taking the idea that there's some services for WordPress that aren't appropriate uh, for the open source side, this distributed nonprofit thing. And so... And also that I wanted to create a company that I wanted to work at. Yep. And so that became Automatic. Um, what was the question?
0: Uh, how did you decide
1: to create Automatic? Uh, you know what it was? Is it was spam. Okay, tell me more. So, you know, things on the web get spam. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm very well aware. Whether it's your email, a contact form, you know, spammers will be. I think I have 100,000,
0: more than 100,000 spam comments in my Wow. Spam right now.
1: So what's been protecting you is a plugin called Akismet. Correct. So Akismet is an anti-spam system. And what had happened was I kept writing anti-spam plugins that were just plugins. So there was just code that would run on your blog. And they would work for like an ever-decreasing amount of time. So like the first one stopped spam for like a year. And the second one stopped it for like six months. And then it got to the point where I'd release a new version. And like the next day, the spammers would work around. I was like, these. I always had like an idea of like a... I apologize to anyone Russian named Ivan, but like, <laughs> like this guy in Russia, like just downloaded my plug. I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha I can work around this so easily. Yeah, and um, and so I thought, huh, like this is asymmetric warfare. Yeah, um, we're never going to beat the spammers because they're like the bully on the playground unless we team up. Right, and so Akismet is sort of a, a system a pack of wolves that tear the bullies apart. Yeah, it's
0: a pack of, (laughs) wow, I like that.
1: (laughs) Or maybe it's like circling the the wagons, you know, it kind of protects you from.
0: It's more, right, visually less
1: violent. And it's able to adapt as quickly as the spammers were um, because it's a centralized service. I built some centralized services before that were uh, expensive to run. Right. and costing me a lot out of my own pocket. So I wanted to make it a business so it could be self-sustainable. I didn't want this something sort of running on my charity or if I went away, this would stop. So that's why... I assume you also need money
0: for food and rent. Uh, I don't need that much. <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> 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 Got it. Not to interrupt. So Akismet, spam. That was the first product of, Auto- of Automatic. And
1: it made perfect sense because it was something that WordPress, the software, couldn't do. It was something that was a service. It was something that I wanted to have a sustainable business model. And um, so that was actually the first thing. I kind of the, I left CNET, so I moved out to San Francisco, got a job at CNET. It was awesome. I was there for about a year. And basically the weekend after I left, I just hacked like the whole time and released the first version of a Gismet.
0: What year was that, roughly? I believe it was 2005. 2005. And was that the period in which you were experimenting with polyphysic sleep? or was it before or after that
1: question? Um, no, I did the polyphasic sleep before then. Okay.
0: So that was, uh, that was when I was still in Houston. And for those people who don't know, polyphasic sleep is this very controversial (laughs) concept of taking what would normally require, say eight hours sleeping monophasic, meaning one block and -hmm. breaking it up into multiple fragments. I wrote about this in the four hour body and Man, do people get excited about that, either <laughs> positively or negatively. Uh, so what was, uh, you were experimenting with, was it Uberman? Uh-huh. So it's about, what is it, between two and two and a half hours? Something like that? In a
1: 24-hour cycle. In a yeah. 24-hour
0: cycle. So, you're- so
1: it's four hours on and then 20 to 30 minutes of sleep. What happens if you miss one of those naps? You're wrecked. <laughs> um, but this was probably one of the most productive periods of my life. So I wrote WordPress in that time and also
0: something called BBPress. Press. Hmm. And i remember uh, I remember your answer, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, uh, if if you remember what you told me, why did you stop polyphasic sleep? what happened? What did I tell you? <laughs> um, you, you got a girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I know girlfriends don't like that sleep cycle. And no one would have predicted it. Um, <laughs> the getting of the
1: girlfriend: maybe the, yeah, the getting of the girlfriend. <laughs> um, and maybe that's that maybe that's who I marry someday, you know, someone who will also be on polyphasic sleep, but the um <laughs>
0: I Sounds did. like a really tense household. <laughs> <laughs> she has to type Dvorak and do polyphasics. Oh, things, so. yes. You know what? All right. You brought it up. Why are you obsessed with Dvorak?
1: Oh, yeah. So, Dvorak is an alternative keyboard layout. So, instead of letters going ASDF, it's A-O-E-U, for example. And all the letters, except for A and M, actually, are in different places.
0: So, it's it would be a competitor to QWERTY.
1: Yes. Right. And it's more efficient. So... I think I was 14 or 15, and I thought, well, I'm going to probably be typing the rest of my life, (laughs) and so if there's a more efficient way to do it, um, I should learn that, and it took about a month. It's kind of like learning a new instrument, actually, Uh, and I just kind of went cold turkey uh, and learned a type of work, and I've been doing it, yeah, for 15 years now. Gosh, I'm old. And do you still offer rewards to employees who pick up Dvorak? It's more like public shaming and or highlighting. Um, we do little hints. Like, so
0: it's a it's a dictator with a little more teeth. <laughs>
1: uh, we'll we'll uh, you know in our Christmas pack we send out like a Dvorak keyboard cover for your laptop or a little a dvzine which is a DVZine.org dot org is actually a great website that tells you all the benefits of Dvorak even better than I have so. There's things like in a... I'm making up the numbers, but in a year of typing on Query, your fingers move like 18 miles, and in Dvorak, they move like two miles. Wow. Like, it's almost an order of magnitude more efficient. So, I never
0: thought of it this way, but there's the speed benefit, which uh, I'm very... Imp- I was very impatient with the Dvorak. I did play with it for a while, and then I had to switch laptops with people, and I wasn't tech-savvy enough to, to figure Turn out. It I, was, on, yeah. I was in Europe, I think, and I was just, like, having trouble with the settings, and I got very frustrated. But... uh Would you say there's an argument for Dvorak being easier on your tendons and carpal tunnel and all that? I'd say that's the most, um, the biggest benefit. So I, you know,
1: again, I type for a living and I've never had any problem. What type of keyboard do you use? Uh,
0: I just use the keyboard on my
1: laptop mostly now. You do? Oh,
0: yeah. Now, you used to have this funky ergonomic keyboard that kept your hands uh your palms more vertical is that right yeah you emailed me about that the other day what was it called oh i have no idea (laughs) that's why i'm asking i looked it up
1: and i told you what it was but yeah it was where the keys were actually sort of slanted in right
0: and um so it's almost like you're holding joysticks i mean in that hand position with your with your fingers extended
1: and it is you know what that keyboard is very comfortable and i like it but honestly the just the i'm not really limited when i'm on my computer by the speed i can type Unless I, unless, I was transcribing something like right. when you're talking, I'm limited just by the speed I can Earning some extra think. dollars, by yeah. Transcribing on TaskRabbit. <laughs> every now and then, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm really limited by speed I can think, right? Uh, which is much slower than 120 words per minute or whatever I can type, and um, so really the comfort is what does it for me. It's also kind of a cool security mechanism when someone sits down at your laptop and like they can't do anything can't quickly. Do anything. <laughs> but it is Dvorak is built into every single modern day computer, Windows and Mac. So you can just, as a setting, if you go to, into international keyboards, and you can do it. Um, and I'd highly recommend, you know, you have a pretty hardcore set of listeners. so Pretty I hardcore hope, habit of writing, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would check out Dvorak. There's also a slightly more efficient one called Colmac that if I was Ooh. starting today, I might do colmac How do you spell Colmac? C-O-L-E-M-A-K. Um, now, the difference between QWERTY and Dvorak is like, let's call that... 50% and yep. between like Dvorak and Colmack is like two or 3%. So Got it. I haven't switched again just because it's more game. marginal. Yeah,
0: But um, if you're coming from QWERTY, yeah, pick one of them. Huge. Cool. All right. We will link to all that in the show notes. Uh, automatic. Mm-hmm. Is it coincidence that automatic is spelled with an M-A-T-T in the middle? <laughs> now, as a typical egotistical founder, I try to work my name into everything <laughs> and uh you should do that i should <laughs> i could i could tim is short I could stick it in the middle of a lot of stuff uh, automatic itself is it's a unique company in a lot of ways how How is automatic different from the average tech startup out there
1: yeah, a lot of ways so the first and foremost is that everything we put out we're open source to the core Mm -hmm. so most technology companies the ip of their software is one of the chief values of it and we open source and release to the public the vast majority of the ip we create so that's the first and foremost and it's really the key to the philosophy of automatic um the second which is i think the future of work and the future of all companies is that we're totally distributed so we're now over 300 people in 37 countries and well over 200 cities so, most people work from home or in co-working spaces, wherever they are. We have a headquarters here in San Francisco, but it's only got about 20-ish people in it. And There's no else... one there.
0: Every time I've been to the headquarters, I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> oh, wait. There are t- t-shirts I can get. Fantastic. I got a new t-shirt. We just needed a place to get mail and subpoenas. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get a lot of
1: subpoenas? Oh, uh, yeah. It's like everyone who publishes. On... It's like if Bill Gates got takedown
0: notices for people using Microsoft Word. Like We just get... People every, contacting every, us for everything. Every type of uh, disagreeable content that's published on WordPress results in some type of letter. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Well, the more clueless the attorney, the more likely we, they're all to contact us. Right. Right. And uh, focusing on the distributed aspect, uh, how did you make that decision and how early on? I mean, what, what was the process like? Tell me the story of how you made that decision. It's literally from day one. And it's, it was influenced by the fact
1: that you know, WordPress was an open source project before right. I created the company Automatic. So the first four or five people at Automatic were all in different cities. Hmm. Um, you know, we had Vermont, Texas, I was in San Francisco. Actually, the very first guy was in Blarney, Ireland, Cork County, which is like the Texas is of Ireland. Is that where the
0: Blarney Stone is? It is where the Blarney what Stone is. What the hell is the Blarney Stone?
1: So you, uh, you climb to the top of this castle thing, and you kind of hang off the side, and you're kind of upside down, and you kiss this stone. Jesus, And it's an old guy just kind of hold you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And it's probably not sanitary, but yeah, um, I was very shy before I kissed it about 10 years ago and And now now you're all, now I'm talking to you.
0: I know. (laughs) All right. Well, hold on. (laughs) I want to talk about nervousness and boldness and shyness for a second. Uh, we are going to come back to the distributed nature of automatic. This is not in fact the first time that I've interviewed you. Do you remember, do you remember the very first, maybe you can tell people about the very first phone call that I made to you. Was that an interview? No. I was, <laughs> uh, well, I, was, I was calling you to ask if I could interview you. Yes. Um, so, Tim, this was pre-4-Hour work week, right? Yeah, it was, I think it was 2006. So, it was old school. Like, yeah, or early, early two thousand six. Those were my Tim bona fides. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. Back in the day.
1: Um, and I got the, I, the... My phone never rings. And I almost never answer. But for some reason, I answer this. And um, this weird guy who talked very fast... Did like a monologue for like 10 minutes. I don't know if it was actually 10 minutes. It, it felt was like that. It was really bad. But this was uh, you know, Timbo, Tim Ferriss, and he was um, telling me about
0: something. I don't know. I think it was like verbal shock and awe. It was, <laughs> I was trying to establish my credentials, and, I, and uh, a mutual friend, MJ Kim, mm-hmm. had had made the intro, and I was worried you would hang up. Because I was aware, <laughs> I was aware vaguely that you did not, you weren't really a phone guy. <laughs> so you're trying to get in all the words before I hung up. That's right. Which, uh, which is not the best policy in the world, but we did end up... It worked. ...getting to know each other. And I wanted that story to be told because it's easy for listeners or readers to assume <laughs> that, you know, my pitches have always been great and that I was <laughs> born that way. No, I've had thousands of horrible pitches uh, some of them, <laughs> just by the luck of the day you happen to contact someone, work. But it's despite your, despite your technique, not because of it. So distributed from day one, uh, what are the tools that you currently use to make that work? So
1: open source projects mostly work like this. And basically what they do is they say you use things like, well, back in the day. I'm going to say some old technologies, and then we'll get some new technologies. IRC which yep. is sort of an old text chat or IM system. Um, you collaborate using distributed source control. So we use subversion. The modern-day equivalent would be something like GitHub. So you basically have ways that you communicate, email, mailing lists, um, forums, all the things that you know people do even when they're in the same office, they IM, they, they IM each other. You just make that the primary way you communicate. And uh, so that's what we did from the very beginning. I mean, when Automattics started, we literally, it was bootstrapped in the beginning, had no money, and I thought, well, why would, I was in San Francisco, but why would I move all these people to the most expensive place in America <laughs> <laughs> right. when we also have no money? Yeah. And um, most investors, in fact, a lot of them said, oh, yeah, when you raise money, you can finally move everyone there. But, you know, Donica in Ireland was, came ready to start a family. Yeah. And, you know, people are different places for different reasons. And it's true, the Bay Area has some amazing talent. But you also have, well, two, two things. You have some incredibly talented people all over the world who, for whatever reason, don't want to live here, even though it's a pretty cool place. Yeah. Um, you also have you know, some of the largest, most successful companies in the world, market caps of over a trillion dollars combined, competing for the same twenty or 30,000 engineers. In one place. In one place. Right. Absolutely. So, when you add up Cisco, Oracle, Apple, Google, you know, just all, go down the not list. Not to mention all the startups. LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, plus all startups. Um, they're, uh, they're all fishing in this like, pond, which is a little bit overfished. Yeah. Um, again, not to say there's not great people. It's just that uh, perhaps back in the day when you had to go to like, one of these universities like Stanford or MIT to learn the things to create a scalable web scale startup or service, um, it was important to be clustered there. But now you can learn all this stuff on Hacker News and you can read Reddit and you can, you know, learn everything you need to do to build the next wordpress from anywhere in the world any place you have an internet connection so right. there's some super smart people all over and so we just started to say well just like it's silly to discriminate on the basis of let's just say gender yeah right? i've said we're not going to hire men or women it's dumb because you just cut out half of the possible hiring pool so by definition people who hire will be not as good as if you looked at 100 percent. we said well we're going to look at the 99.9 percent of the world that doesn't live in the San
0: Francisco Bay Area. So not only are you getting better talent because you have a larger pool to filter from, what can you do with the cost savings of not having to build out a huge infrastructure for a campus?
1: I don't know if there's actually a cost savings because once you start flying people around and things like that, like it does add up and we give people uh, an allowance, for example, a $250 per month co-working allowance. They Mm -hmm. can use it at Starbucks or cafes. They can use it at a co-working space. We... So we we invest in people's uh, space because we want them to be productive. But I think what it really comes down to is just allowing people freedom, autonomy, and something that was actually inspired when I finally read your book is some lifestyle arbitrage. Yeah. I mean, you can make a San Francisco salary and live in Argentina or Alabama or wherever you want to. Goes a lot.
0: Goes goes very, very far.
1: (laughs) And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And um, or like myself, like I travel most of the time. Where
0: is the uh, you are in thirty seven countries? You said. Mm-hmm. What are the most heavily weighted countries or represented countries?
1: Oh, in order, it's probably it's English speaking countries in order. So it's uh, United States is about two thirds. So again, more than the majority. Uh, we love some Canadians. <laughs> I love Canada. Yeah. Um, UK, Australia, uh, those are kind of the top four or five. Yeah. Ireland. So, because we're still, although we're totally distributed, we still speak English. Right. And so, places where, uh, so that's like the top five. And then, of the other 32 countries, um, many of them, we just have one person in them. Right. We only have one person in India. We have, I think, three or four people in Argentina, one person in Brazil. So, it just kind of ends up being whoever the coolest, most,
0: uh, I was going to say bad butt <laughs> I, I don't like the curse <laughs> for, for you who don't know matt he never curses he has a lot of trouble it'd be like forcing mr rogers to say fuck on the air it would just be the most excruciatingly painful thing to watch so yes they're now bad bad, but, bad butt engineers tim now i can't send this to my mom <laughs> we, we can bleep the f it's, it's all
1: right you know i actually don't have a problem with cursing i just don't do it myself um, how long has that been has that
0: always been the case you know i don't mean you're from texas and again i don't not that a, i'm implying i don't that all have a Texans problem with curse it. a lot but i'm from long island it's like you can't <laughs> avoid
1: it that's half of what we say there's actually a myth in the company that you can't curse around me or i'll get mad <laughs> but it's just not true at all um, i have no personal problem with it i feel
0: like i would have picked up on that yeah. <laughs> so how long have you not been cursing
1: i feel like i must have read a book when i was younger like a james bond type book or something and i because re, i recall the sentence i just don't remember the context and if someone's like you know the english language has more words in it than any other language in the world and so you can find your way to express yourself in some of these other hundreds of thousands of words now obviously words like f word are so versatile you can use them in a million different ways <laughs> yes. but the um there's a lot of other really good ones so huh. i try to I've be, always, express that, myself that's in other something ways.
0: that's always struck me and uh I feel like such a coarse, unrefined sort of knuckle dragger with the amount that I curse, which is I, I enjoy being around you. And uh, is something we've talked about on the podcast before with other folks is surrounding yourself with people you want to be the average of. And so I like, one of the reasons I enjoy being around you is that you, you force me to become very aware of how much I curse, <laughs> and, which oftentimes I think is, is reflective of lazy thinking. Hmm just in the way that if you overuse the word interesting, you're like, Oh, interesting. That is a garbage word. It means nothing like come up with yeah. a better word or, uh, my, my particular crutch was pretty. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty expensive. Oh, that was pretty awesome. And I got so annoyed with it. Mm-hmm. The way that I tried to fix it, which worked very well, actually for a period of time was requiring that every time I say pretty, I add fucking after it, no matter <laughs> who I was with. So they like, Oh, that's pretty fucking expensive. Oh, that's pretty fucking pretty or whatever. Which, which solved it, but um, the, what are the current tools that you use? So you had IRC and so on, mm-hmm. but what, what do you, what's the state of the art within Automatic for managing, keeping that machine running with the distributed teams? So we actually ended up creating a tool uh, called P2. So you can get it at
1: p2theme.com. Um, and that is uh, basically a replacement for email. So Automatic basically sends no emails. I get, all the email I get is from people outside the company. And think of P2, almost like a social cast or a Yammer or kind of like an internal Twitter or Facebook, but really work oriented, where people can post short things, long things, blog posts, embed YouTubes, rich media, mock-ups, images, audio, anything. And it's a threaded, asynchronous discussion. But because it's not email, I, I honestly don't know why people use email so much in companies because imagine that you're a company, you're a team of 10 people, and you join that team. How do you catch up with the past two years of conversations? Do you get people to forward you, like all the emails they've been doing? If someone leaves, like, does everything in their inbox, What well, does, everything in their inbox disappears and all that sort of locked in knowledge is gone. So everything in automatic is public by default. All of our stats, all of our everything. Everything? Everything. like Salaries, that, equity? Uh, so we're not Buffer where we, <laughs> we publish you know, salaries and equity, but the-
0: um, So just for context for people who are not in, in this world of tech, <laughs> buffer app is actually uh, an app I use every day uh, very useful for scheduling but uh, buffer app allows you to schedule uh, different types of Facebook posts, Twitter posts, et etc uh, among many many other things but they're they're extremely transparent uh, in, in with their information So they
1: publish a formula
0: essentially yeah that- how they determine their it's like a base salary, like salaries.
1: 50K for support, plus a multiplier for experience, plus uh, you can get equity or more salary or things like that. So, theory the formula is public. Um, I think some of that stuff goes a little bit too far, and it, it creates you, as many problems as it solves. How do you draw the line? Or how do you decide where to draw the line? Hmm. It's really a judgment call, and also thinking about what is the logical conclusion of this. Mm-hmm. So... How does that system work when we're ten thousand employees or hundred thousand employees? Uh, and does it just sort of kick the can down the road? So the thing I think about the buffer system isn't—it's not bad that their are salaries are public. In fact, government jobs salaries are public, and many companies have sort of stated titles and levels that have certain ranges. But then it just kind of it kind of kicks that can down the road. That why is this guy got an experience multiplier of one point three and mine is one point one? You, know, you still have the. What does kicking the can down the road mean? Uh, it's, if it purports to solve the idea of compensation inequity, right? Um, there's still uh, subjective measures that have right. a big impact sure. on what the formula, the output of the formula, that doesn't really help. Um, so, is it. What I think of is, is this going to make the company either solve a problem that we can't solve otherwise or is it going to make it better overall? And so, uh, so all of our communication being public does. And it's all searchable, it's all indexed, it's all tagged. Um, I could look you up in our system and see every meeting anyone's ever had. With like, you you. like, wow, this guy really doesn't know how to use computers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, but going back now, you know, almost 10 years. We yeah. turned 10 this year. So that's pretty powerful to have that sort of record of everything. And it's all searchable and indexed. So that's, I think makes sense and we're very trusting internally like if we're working on an acquisition for example in my status updates that I do weekly I'll put that I worked on this acquisition in theory that could leak it could whatever but I find that when you trust people they tend to do the right thing Mm -hmm. versus if we try to like really lock everything down I feel like that wouldn't engender a two-way
0: loyalty Uh, so p2 uh, slack I really love can you know slack has come up a lot recently for me including for very small teams uh can you explain slack sure as i pour water all over this table that's all right that's all right it's 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 wood <laughs> suppose you know i would assume the tree was exposed to water Hope, <laughs> hopefully it'll be okay
1: <laughs> so at some point so slack is is kind of for us it's a replacement for irc so Imagine a, it's a real-time chat platform that actually has a lot of the benefits of P2. You can embed media in it and things. But it just makes sense for for IM. So we used Skype before. But again, it didn't really scale for us. So if you're the 101st person to join Automatic and we use Skype for all of our messaging each other, you have to add 100 people to your contact list and be accepted by each one of them. Um, rooms have limits for how many people they can add. And just all these arbitrary things that's not suited in slack you can dm anyone in the company uh, everything's they also have a really great search there's public channels anyone can join there's private groups and it's just it's done by some of the folks behind Flickr, Stuart mm-hmm. butterfield cal Anderson. Yeah. and it's just really well done like it's pleasant to use love the name so it's a yeah it's a positive association just in the name it's a enterprise tool although you can use it for i have i'm on like four or five teams now including some that are just groups of friends uh but it's it's really pleasant to use like it It's consumer grade. And I mean consumer grade as a compliment.
0: You mean the UI, like the the user experience is consumer friendly and user friendly. It it could compete with a
1: Facebook or a Twitter for Mm. its usability versus where most enterprise software just, you know, is looked by, is designed by someone who's very unhappy.
0: (laughs) And why not use P2 for the IRC like chat?
1: Oh, yeah. it's not chat. <laughs> okay, So P2 it. is threaded. It is real time, but you wouldn't use it like a chat client. Got it. Um, where Slack is uh, chronological, so there's no threading. And yeah, it's instantaneous. It comes to your phone. It's, it's more like an IM application. Got it. And would
0: you use P2 for project management type stuff as well? We do, yeah. Okay. We
1: have bug trackers. Different teams use different things. Some use Fabricator. Some use GitHub. Some use Track. Uh, we allow teams a lot of autonomy in choosing their tools there. But um, all the communication really happens on P two. So I think P two replacement for email, uh, Slack a replacement for Skype. IM. Skype. I am, and that's really between those two, you can take over the world.
0: I love it. And uh, for those people who are not aware of, uh, who are not part of the the tech world, no, no, that was a, that was a coaster. That was a very metallic Scandinavian coaster <laughs> that was stuck to the bottom of the glass that's that's the downside of these coasters uh we're sitting at my place chilling we were going to do tequila sipping uh I don't want to incriminate Matt but uh, <laughs> I have to get on the road a little bit later so I don't want to have uh, I don't want to be swimming in uh, Casa Dragones which is my my favorite sipping tequila but it's my favorite too it's so good it is good and just to to digress cuz this is worth digressing on uh I was introduced to Casa Dragones the first time because I ended up doing some military training with uh some some active guys uh and some deployed guys when they were back for a brief period. And they would uh they would do a full day of shooting exercises and then they would dismantle their guns and clean their guns while slowly sipping Casa Dragones, like the most manly <laughs> session ever. And yeah. no ammo around, very safe. And <laughs> uh, I had never liked tequila i'd always disliked tequila and it'd give me a horrible hangover and uh Casa de Agones is not intended to be mixed with anything, and it's just amazing i think tequila is the most underrated alcohol actually and it's very expensive so (laughs) for people who it's something it's for special occasions for sure
1: people have a bad impression of tequila because they drink a bunch of stuff and then at the end of the night they do a tequila shot so Mm -hmm. they mix like 20 different alcohols or they drink things like margaritas that are full of sugar yeah like that are like instant hangovers for me but just like a yeah i love Casa i was introduced to it by a friend in new york named shanti and she was like Had to check this out. I was like, come on, why am I going to pay this much? I was like, wow, this tequila is delicious. Yeah, it's amazing. And truly amazing. If you drink, I believe this, if you stick to just tequila, and it's a good tequila, like uh Don Julio 1942 is also pretty good. If you stick to good tequila all night long, obviously with limits, you don't you're not
0: hungover in the morning. No, I agree. So if you're looking for a hangover cure, guys, uh, you could test responsibly uh sipping tequila. Personal tools. I'd love to talk about some tools that you have, say, on your laptop. Mm-hmm. So one of them that you introduced me to that I love is Momentum. Yeah. Could you explain Momentum?
1: So Momentum is an extension for Chrome that when you launch a new tab, it shows you a beautiful picture. Uh, it says, you know, hi, Matt or hi, Tim. You put in your name. You, I guess you could put in, could put in my name, but it would be creepy. (laughs) And it asks you a question, what is your focus for today? It has a light to-do thing I don't use. But really, for me, it shows the time and just this beautiful picture. And often like a nice little quote at the bottom. Yeah. Weather in the corner. Just, it's kind of a clean, fun thing that when you launch a tab. Because by default on Chrome, I feel like before it was like your most recently or most frequently visited sites, which is distraction central for me. Yeah. So, I'd be launching a new tab and be like, oh, let me click this tech meme. Like,
0: oh. And then 20 minutes later, you're like, What am I doing? Not only that, but if you open a new tab, uh, I find it useful. Personally, It's—I mean the photos are just amazing. They're so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It bugs me that the quotes have no attribution. (laughs) That's a new feature. If you hover over the
1: quote, it will tell you who it's from.
0: Huh. I feel like that should just be (laughs) displayed.
1: They removed it a little while ago. I don't know why, but now if you hover over the quote, it'll tell you who it's from.
0: But the photos are absolutely stunning, which catches your attention. And the reason that's important is when you, each day, it'll prompt you to type an answer for what is your focus for today. Mm-hmm. And then it will display that every time you open a new tab. And for me, if I open a tab to do something unimportant, trivial, or just that is a pure distraction, I'll be like, oh, oh yeah. I should really get back to that. <laughs> uh, the road to heck is paid with lots of new tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Tone down language. This is a family program, Matt. <laughs> uh, so what other what other uh, tweaks or tools do you have on your laptop hmm. that you find helpful?
1: Uh, definitely, a, among constantly simple notes. Mm-hmm. So that's actually a company, I liked it so much we acquired it. <laughs> it's a company yeah. Automatic bought a few years ago. And it's a very simple notes app that synchronizes instantly basically across web, iOS, Android, desktop. There's a great desktop client for Mac. So I pretty much live in that. Um, new additions,
0: I've started using Wonderlist. Wonderlist. I've heard a lot of good things about Wonderlist. W-U-N-D. It's like W W-U-N-D. Yeah, Chad Fowler works there now. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, good guy. Really liked it. So
1: I just started doing that this year. Actually, mm-hmm. um, what else In- is on my computer? Spotify, you know, standard stuff.
0: What uh, What are some of your other most used apps on your your smartphone? Hmm. Well.
1: Obviously, WordPress.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: Okay, I'll get the plugs out of the way in the beginning. So, let's yeah. say WordPress, simple notes. <laughs> Got it. Um, for messaging, I've actually become really into Telegram. Telegram. So, telegram.org. It is a free, fast, and uh, encrypted, optional, really good encryption, by the way, uh, messaging app. Hmm. That isn't Facebook, isn't WhatsApp, isn't anything else. And it's super good. And they have a desktop client as well. I like WhatsApp, but like... I'm on my computer the majority of the day, so I need to be able to message from there. And iMessage only works with um, iPhone, other right.
0: iOS devices, so it's pretty nice. So Telegram, you can use on your phone and on your laptop. Yeah, which I love. My iMessage is broken. I won't. I won't pull you in for tech support, but <laughs> I'll do it after. you could use Telegram, <laughs> um, Slack,
1: uh, something. So in terms of like making myself a better person, the row is the Seven Minute Workout app, mm-hmm. uh, Calm. Calm, which I'm mm-hmm. an investor in,
0: and Kindle, you know, reading. And Kindle is a like. meditation app. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. No, that is not the meditation app. I need to do some more dual <laughs> dual end back training. Oh god, that was that was terrible. <laughs> Calm is a meditation app. Yes. How often do you meditate? Not enough. <laughs> I feel like that's a dodge. Is that once a month or what's <laughs> not enough? Um, so where I am in this
1: new year is yeah. I'm trying to do it for five minutes per day. That's perfect. That's just where I'm starting out. Um, actually inspired a lot by you talking and telling me about how meditation has become a big part of your life. Uh, I'd like to work up to where it's you know maybe a twice a day more meaty session, um, but I've struggled a little bit even with that five minutes, so yeah. putting calm on my home screen and just kind of just saying, you know, you can do anything for five minutes. Yeah. You can, there's really no excuses for not doing five minutes a day. Um, it's kind of neat. It's yeah. kind of like for fitness. One of the things I did a while back was I would just try to do like... Oh, it started with one. So just before I got in the shower, I'd do one push-up. Mm-hmm. And no matter how late you're running, no matter what's going on in the world, you can't argue against doing one push-up. Like, right. come on, there's no excuse. <laughs> so I often find I just need to, like, get over that initial hump yep. with something that's almost embarrassingly small as Definitely. a goal. And then that can become a habit.
0: I think this illustrates a really important principle, which is, rigging the game so you can win people don't like to fail and if you set the pass fail mark too high for an activity Mm -hmm. for instance a lot of people make new year's resolutions they decide they're going to go to the gym four times a week that's too much for someone who doesn't go to the gym at all yeah and if that's the pass fail mark and you go three times a week you're going to feel like a failure whereas if you psychologically set the the hurdle at one time per week for instance and you only have to spend 15 minutes in the gym then you can earn bonus credits by doing what would have previously been viewed as a failure. Hey, right?
1: Someone should write a book on that. <laughs>
0: right. God, I can't do another 600-pager. The 4-Hour <laughs> Body has another point that I think is very important, which is uh, the, the layering of behaviors uh, or sequencing of behaviors. So if someone has 100 pounds to lose or 50 pounds to lose, I think exercise mm-hmm. is the wrong place to start uh, for a, a whole host of reasons. Uh, because you say diet? Exercise is the wrong place to start. Diet is the right place to start because exercise is an additive behavior. It's something they don't currently do that they have to make time for. Whereas, especially if they're overweight, they're definitely eating. (laughs) 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 So they have set aside time to eat and they're just substituting in different default meals, which is very, very, very easy. Uh, Met my first uh, slow carb follower who's lost 200 pounds recently. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of pounds.
1: Actually, it was a question I wanted to ask you, if it's okay to turn yeah, this around. Yeah, sure. I've been reading a little bit more about fasting and intermittent
0: fasting, so yeah. if there was like a, a couple of tweets worth of advice you would give. For think, fasting? Yeah. Definitely. All right, I think intermi- if you have incredible discipline, uh, I think the intermittent fasting, uh, for instance, um, I think his name is Martin Birkin, lean gains. I think he does quite a bit here. Uh, (laughs) He may or may not be a fan of my stuff. He's not a fan of a lot of people Uh, But (laughs) that's fine. I'm okay with it because even if he doesn't like me I think he's a good resource for intermittent fasting Mm. Uh, A lot of people who sustain intermittent fasting and i'm not saying martin i'm saying uh, A lot of other people who are figureheads in that community uh consume massive amounts of two things on the male side caffeine They consume Mm. a lot of stimulants And uh, some of them consume anabolics like Dianabol, which is an oral anabolic Mm. androgenic steroid that inhibits appetite significantly. Mm. Uh, So you want to, I would encourage you to test intermittent fasting, Mm -hmm. see how you feel. Uh, But I personally prefer, and I'll be writing quite a bit about this, uh, to do a, I did a seven day distilled water fast. And I I think the longevity benefits known and unknown, and health benefits known and unknown of doing that are, are very significant. And what you, happens if you don't distill the water? Well, you know, that is a great question. <laughs> they don't. The doctors who supervised me did not want me to be consuming any supplemental minerals or electrolytes, huh. which was interesting because I thought it would be the opposite. And in some cases, when people get very weak, they'll supplement with, say, bouillon broth or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, they don't want you to be ingesting any type of supplemental minerals, vitamins, et cetera huh. and uh that was a tremendous experience. I actually want to do that at least once a quarter and possibly do a fourteen day.
1: I just read where like after the third day of a, like a water fast, you start producing more is it white blood cells like your body starts oh, I, uh, yeah
0: i mean that that wouldn't surprise me at all. I'd have to look at my labs of course i did urinalysis i did your analysis every day and mm-hmm. and lab did work. you weigh your poo? I'd not weigh my poo because I got to tell you there's not much poo when you're not <laughs> eating for seven days uh but uh, you, you have to be careful with the amount of water you drink because if huh. you're not consuming any sources of salt, uh, you, can, you can develop, you can over water just like anything yeah. else. And there, there have been examples of people who've died as a result of, say, radio show competitions where they have competitions to see who can drink the most water. It's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> I think it's called <laughs> hy- hy- hyponatremia, I think it is, which is a, an, a, an extreme... Um, lack of sodium and other things that then hmm. interferes with your ability to conduct electricity in muscles like the heart. Huh. Uh, but the, the intermittent fasting f- for the p- it works for a lot of people very well. But the vast majority of people I have seen who use it end up using crutches of some type, like stimulants. Hmm. So you trade one problem for another. Yeah, and in fact, to, uh, you can you that. can also end up losing fat not because of the intermittent fasting, but because you're consuming. Six cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I still just, don't
1: drink coffee. What's up? I still don't drink coffee. Why not? You know, I figure I have enough vices in my life. Are you an Are you an investor in a coffee company? Blue Bottle Coffee. So <laughs> I don't drink
0: coffee, but when I do, Blue Bottle is the uh, now. Okay, you don't have to answer this, but I'm curious. What are some of your other um, per, suitable for Mr. Rogers vices? <laughs> What are some of your other vices? Wine, women, and song, right? It all goes back to the, yeah, the wow. classics. The Those are vices? Again.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like probably the thing I struggle with the most is because my work and what I do is connected. Hmm. You know, I'm talking to people online. I'm on my computer. And especially since taking over a CEO the past year, what I've really had to do is unschedule more of my life. Right. Create more space. Right. Um, read a lot more than i used to because i find that when i don't have that space when i'm just in the the i'm not going to call it flow when i'm in sort of like the the hedonistic treadmill of pings and chats and tweets and not even not even necessarily being distracted by like facebook or twitter but like even just work stuff right you don't take that step back that allows you to have the creative inspiration or the ideas for the next big thing or the uh Your mind works through the problem in a different way.
0: Right. The deloading phase. Those blocks of time. What have you found helpful for creating that space? Oh, another interesting thing about Automatic
1: is we have almost no meetings. Let's talk about it. So I only have three standing meetings at Automatic. Standing meaning physically standing. Oh, no. Standing like it's always standing on the calendar. I see. Outstanding. (laughs) So every other week. What makes those meetings worth doing? Um, So they're meetings with groups of people who are responsible for three areas at Automatic. Um, One for all of WordPress.com and everything related there. One for Jetpack and all the plugins we make. And then one we just call business. They're called... uh, dot biz so the commission the organization and the biz group um and business is basically all the people who work on making money at automatic
0: right got it it's all the vip guys Yeah, vips on that team
1: ads so the, the the commercial side because to be honest the vast majority of automaticians don't think about mm, revenue at all yeah there's just a few of us
0: that shoulder the burden for everyone else <laughs> It's probably a good thing. I mean, what, what do the other people primarily focus on?
1: Um, I don't know. Comics. <laughs> Tequila. What they're having for lunch. <laughs> no, I mean, you think about the user. Yeah. You think about the, the experience. You think about what is the thing. The hardest thing is spending the most time on the most important things just in life in general definitely and especially when building products like it's so easy there's a term in open source called bike shedding hmm. and it's this idea
0: do you know it i do but i want you to explain it this is a so great concept i'm gonna butcher the story but
1: you know someone brings a proposal for a nuclear plant in a, to a city council and it's you know this 200 page thing and they kind of flip through it and um but it's like too much for people to comprehend and they're not nuclear physicists or activists anyway so they just kind of rubber stamp it and then the next person up wants to build a bike shed off the main road, and everyone has an opinion. Like, what color the bike shed should be? Should it accommodate tandem bicycles? Should it, like... <laughs> what should color it should it be? Yeah, and so there's an amazing website called bikeshed.org, and a cool feature of it is that you can type in as a subdomain a color. So if you type green.bikeshed.org, it'll give you a green background and then the text of this original mailing list post, which is like a BSD thing from, like, Probably thirteen or fourteen years ago now um, that tells this story and talks about how usually proportionally the more trivial something is, the more likely it is that lots of people have opinions and feel like they can have an impact on it
0: hmm. that's so true, and I want to talk about also your auditioning process. Hmm. But first, we're going to hear a few words from the fine sponsors who make this show free for all of you. So please don't skip ahead. Things we have coming up with Matt, we're just getting started. We're going to talk about his auditioning process, what he has in his carry-on bag. This man travels the world all the time. We're going to talk about investing, Warren Buffett, music, his rituals around productivity as it relates to music, and on and on and on. So please don't go away, and here you go, our fine sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Five Bullet Friday. Guests for the podcast, some of the most amazing people I've ever interacted with, and little known fact, I've met probably twenty five percent of them because they first subscribed to Five of Friday. So you'll be in good company. so easy peasy again that's tim.blog forward slash friday and thanks for checking it out if the spirit moves you we've taken a potty break which gave us a chance to upgrade our beverage since i've canceled my driving plans this evening from tea to tequila so bear with me one moment uh actually matt perhaps you could elucidate and enlighten us about uh, some of your favorite music at the moment while i while I very geisha like pour us some lovely tequila,
1: I will be monitoring your technique. Um, yeah, I, I'm so late to the game, but I just discovered uh, I was about to say Tila Tequila, cause you're, <laughs> but I did not just discover it. I just discovered Sam Smith, the opposite of Tila Tequila, um, who just his voice is super haunting. Um, been enjoying Milky Chance lately. They have a cool song called uh, "Stuff From Tila Tequila? <laughs> no. <laughs> They have a cool song called uh, Stolen Dance. What type uh, of music is that? What would you call that? That's interesting. So they have kind of a reggae feel, but it's like a guy with a guitar and sings combined with a guy who kind of plays the laptop, like more of like a beat, almost like a DJ. Very cool. And uh, I saw them live in San Francisco. Great show. And I'm same. I, I listen to a lot of hip hop and a lot of jazz. And you play instruments also. Yeah, primarily saxophone. When did you learn to play the saxophone? Well, I started in second or third grade. Really? Yeah, so I started pretty young. My dad played sax, so I always wanted to do it. And I had gotten kicked out of piano class. For doing what? I don't know. They said I had no musical talent, so I <laughs> wanted to prove
0: them wrong. God. <laughs> what is wrong with some teachers? Unbelievable. <laughs> Cheers, by the way. Cheers. And uh, so the saxophone was your transition from piano, and... Uh, Is there anything, are there any skills that you developed through the, uh, through the SACs that have, that have translated to coding or anything else you do?
1: Oh, almost everything. Um, so from how to breathe Hmm. and be on stage in front of people, um, for speaking gigs and whatnot, or just anything, you know, you're in front of a group of people, um, How to interact, so in jazz it's all about listening and responding, you know, you're kind of co-composing on the fly when you're improvising or in a quartet or something. Uh, How to learn new things, so sometimes for uh, different, if I played in like a musical theater band or something like that, like I need to double on piccolo or flute or clarinet or another instrument, so I'd have to learn that very quickly. Um, And just, I would say most importantly, the concept of deliberate practice which I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah. I remember I had a teacher once who told me, like, if you only practice the things where you sound good, you're never going to get better. You reach, kind of, you reach kind of a local maximum. And that was a trap I actually local had fallen maximum. into.
0: maximum? I need to <laughs> learn what this is. Is that just a, a, constrained, a constrained maximum?
1: Yeah, you, you reach the best that you're going to get within this sort of... Limited sphere. Limited sphere. You're not moving on to the next sphere. And, you know especially back when I was young, I think I was more self-conscious. And so when I would practice and I'd be at school or at home, I'd want to sound good for whoever might walk by or hear me or anything. And that's not how you get better. You just kind of get really good at the 10 things that you're practicing. But the people who practice the best sound terrible. Like they're squawking and squeaking and doing long tones and overtones. They sound like they're it's funny. One of the most best things you can do to sound better on saxophone is, is what's called long tones, which is just playing a single note for a really long time. And then going to the next note and playing that for a really long time. Why does that make you better? Um, is it an endurance thing? It helps your embouchure and your tone. Your what? Embouchure. What is that? So the embouchure is basically the position and firmness of your mouth around the mouthpiece. <laughs> and basically, the, it's, the, it's basically the seal around the mouthpiece. I'm not to make woodland. any jokes. <laughs> um... Or think of like a, a brass instrument when, you know, they have this sort of circular mouthpiece and they do like that sort of thing inside right. of it. Um, they use an armature to change the pitch. So, you're... That's the position of the yeah. mouth. It's also the position of your throat, the way the air is flowing, the position of your tongue inside your mouth that determines where the air goes. It's different for different instruments, but um, ultimately that and the breath support is what determines your tone.
0: Hmm. And... you uh listen to a lot of music you're an avid consumer of music mm-hmm. do you still listen when you work to one track or a handful of tracks on repeat i do <laughs> so tell to explain this explain what uh the last thing that you that you listen to in this way and why you do that um literally today this sam
1: smith song uh, i'm not the only one Uh, which is, I actually just blogged about it. Check it, oh, I can plug my blog, ma.tt. Which is a great domain
0: name. Thank you.
1: Um, Where's TT, Trinidad and Tobago? Trinidad and Tobago. I actually just renewed it for another three years. (laughs) Why only three years? I'm curious. Oh, it's a really weird, you know, it was unregistered when I got it.
0: So just luck of the draw?
1: Yeah, I literally, well, it wasn't luck of the draw, just no one went through the, the junk you had to go through to register domain oh, in Trinidad it's and Tobago. I had to like DeBato. wire money to Trinidad, and I, <laughs> I was in my I was in like the Bank of America on Third and Brandon or something Fourth and Brandon, <laughs> and they're like, "Sir, are you sure about this?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I read it on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine." The internet said it's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Someone contacted me. I'm going to send them a couple grand, and <laughs> uh, yeah, they were very concerned about um, the money <laughs> I was wiring to this Trinidadian bank, but uh, yeah, the I find that. So on your blog, you put a video of? Just a YouTube uh, okay. of the music video for the song. But the, um, that's just because YouTube's the easiest way to share music now. Sure. The, the nice thing about a song on repeat is that I can really enjoy it, but something about it allows my brain to background it as well. Um, I have a couple albums that I can do the entire album on repeat, but what I can't do is something new or novel. So like uh, Pandora or Spotify Radio distracts me because i'm like oh what's this and then i'll start next day i know i'm like on the artist page and on their wikipedia and like really digging into it so i really want something i've heard sometimes literally a thousand times before what are some of the other songs that you've heard a thousand times um i really like uh john mayer's who says who says i can't kids don't which is kind of funny because i don't <laughs> uh what is another one um some kanye songs like gorgeous um power you know, there's just different, whatever it is at the moment. Um, oh, Kendrick Lamar is amazing. So Kendrick Lamar has a song, Rigor Mortis. It's actually kind of upbeat. So it's a pretty intense song, and his lyrics are fast and furious. He's, in my opinion, the greatest lyricist of this generation.
0: What was the um, name again? I don't even recognize the name. Kendrick Lamar? Kendrick Lamar. Oh, man. Yeah, he... Um, I remember when someone told me like a year ago who Taylor Swift was. I'm really out of the, the slipstream <laughs> of pop culture. Um,
1: yeah, Kendrick Lamar is definitely my top five favorite rappers right now. And he, um, yeah, his music actually has a lot of jazz influence on many things he does. And this song Rigor Mortis samples a jazz track and, um, it's, a lot of these tracks are shorter. So the, um, the Sam Smith is like, I think three and a half minutes, uh, who says is like two fifty six or so, um,
0: Rigor Mortis is under three minutes and just put them on the loop. So I borrowed that habit. I remember you told me about this and I, I, I thought it was genius because uh, I, I, I had used different albums for different books. Mm-hmm. And for those people who haven't heard this, because it does help some people a lot to write, if your writing period is best at night and you feel very isolated, which I did late at night, I, I generally did my best synthesis, not research, not interviewing, but synthesis from about 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Huh. And I'd be alone and it was just very um, hermit-like. And I felt very isolated to be in the quiet and darkness by myself. So I would put in earphones, listen to music on repeat, very often something without vocals mm-hmm. and a pendulum, for instance. And I would then watch the same movie over and over and over again. But it would mm. just be my peripheral vision because the images of human beings would make me feel less isolated. <laughs> and it was very comforting. Uh, so I had uh, the Born identity, the first and Shaun of the Dead for the Four Hour Work Week. Did you do one of the Bond movies too? I Casino did Casino Royale. Royale I've yeah. seen hundreds, probably thousands, of times because <laughs> I would just leave it on repeat. So I might play five, six times a night if I'm really in a session. And then for the Four Hour Chef, the funny addition was the first thing that I clicked on Amazon Prime that was available on Amazon Prime, which was Babe. <laughs> So I ended up watching oh, the, with the pig, with the pig, oh, wow. and Farmer Hoggett, and it's actually a, a it's brilliant a movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant movie. There's a lot hidden in that movie. There are a lot of subtle details, just like Kung Fu Panda is, is a genius movie. Now that I have not seen. Yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic.
1: I love when they make these movies for kids, but they put cool stuff in there for adults, like too.
0: Aladdin and many other movies. Yeah. 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 Really fantastic. So, all right. So that's the that's the music trick. The repeat. I have a colleague who does the movie thing and like i do yeah
1: and i I put the movie on mute though oh really yeah and i listen to the music for him he does big lebowski and a few others but um the only the only variation i've introduced in the past few years is uh i like this electronic edm type group called the jane does Mm -hmm. they're also friends and they do some mixes and they have some i guess it's called trap music um this is where i'm getting out of my element a little bit but um I find that if I'm doing things like email where I need to be a little bit higher energy and go through a lot of things, uh, that's really good for me.
0: I love it. Uh, Auditions. Tell me about auditions. What What are auditions? How do they work in automatic? Why auditions?
1: So one thing that's really important when you're in a distributed company is, I mean, there's no one looking over your shoulder. There's no manager walking by There's no one even who knows whether you started work or if you started work at all or what time you did. So you really need to hire people who are self-motivated and can manage themselves to some extent. A ton of automaticians were formerly freelancers or CTOs at other companies or things like that because they really need a lot of ability to self-direct and have self-management, which is a tough skill. Like It's still something that I work on every day of my life. So what we found... We've tried every hiring, especially when we started. You know, I was much younger and I thought, oh, well, we should do it like the other companies do it. So we tried, you know, how many manhole covers are there in Manhattan? The McKinsey and Google brain teasers. The brain teasers, although Google stopped doing them. I think Microsoft was most famous for them. So we did brain teasers. We did coding tests. We did a thing where you, like, ask a hard technical problem and have them write the code on the whiteboard. We did it where 20 people would interview the person. Not literally 20, but, you know, like interview after interview, and then you sort of get a consensus. And none of it had a great correlation with how productive and great that person was in the company later. Um, And I also started to see no correlation, I think, because I dropped out of college. I was very entranced by people with master's or PhDs. Turns out it has no correlation with how effective they were in our organization. So what we started to do is we found, I looked back to the first couple people. I said, well, I worked with these guys before. We worked together on the open source project. And so how can we sort of set up a hiring system that where you actually do the work that you're going to do in the job? And that's all you're judging them by. You don't care about anything else. And so we try to make the interview process as much like the actual work as possible. So we don't do voice or video. It's all text chat because that's how we primarily communicate.
0: Also prevents you from any subconscious bias. Getting if, romanced by whatever voice or presentation the person might have.
1: Yeah, um, or maybe they have a funny accent or something like that. That doesn't matter in our company. Um, unless maybe they're a salesperson and their ability to convince you of something or have a charisma is important for their job. Um, there's really no benefit to these in-person or even voice or video uh, interactions. So we, uh, we have a pretty good system for this now. We get a ton of applications. I'm actually over 1,000 applications behind now.
0: Um, (laughs) so, okay. How do you filter a thousand applications? Uh,
1: so I book in the process now. So where we've evolved to is I review all the incoming applications. I do a first pass on them and I pass them on to a team. If it, if they seem
0: promising or interesting, what do you look for? Uh,
1: well, I can't tell you everything. Okay.
0: (laughs) What do you look for or disqualify against?
1: I look for passion, attention, to detail, um, drive beyond the things that they need to do you know and i'm totally i'm totally down with quirky you know what questions do you ask to get an indication of those things so at this point all i'm doing is looking at emails so literally there's no chat no anything so it's purely based on the care and effort that they put into this email and we've tried forms and things they fill out before and we've gone back to just a free form email because i want to see what kind of attachment they use I want to see how their email client is. I want to see if you can tell they've copied and pasted things because Mm. different text is different font sizes. Right. So all of those are indicators. And not any one of them. Paste is plain text, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Any one of those would not be a yay or a nay. But the combination, you get a pretty good sense. And then I pass it on to a team. The team has, for example, for engineering. um, They have a system where everyone, again, looks at it. They kind of rate it. Uh, They choose a certain number of people and make it to the next stage, which is... Uh, like a very simple code test. It takes takes like, about half an hour. Sometimes it's called a FizzBuzz test in programming. It's just What does that mean? It's just a basic, super basic thing
0: that fizz anyone- buzz. Does that stand for something?
1: Uh, yeah, so you, you move some variables around that are okay. Fizz and Buzz, and you arrange them in different ways, or you repeat them, or you sort an array, or something like that. But Got it. a basic thing that anyone can figure out. And that filters out a surprising number of people, even who make it through these first few screens. Simple coding test, and
0: then how do they screw that up? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Fair enough. Uh, no, I mean, I had, I had this application for this managing editor position, and I was astonished at how people would go through seventy-five percent of the application. This is a woo-foo form. Mm-hmm. They'd get to a question that asked, let's say, you know, how you would get the rock to be on the podcast. What would your process look like? And they would say now on second thought, I'm not interested in this job. And then they would go to the bottom and still hit submit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was very uh, s- puzzled by that. Yeah, there's a lot of odd behavior in job, app- uh, job applications. So, by the way, you, I don't know if you know,
1: but I'm hiring a new executive assistant, personal assistant, and I referenced your managing editor hiring post.
0: Ah, cool. I think I I block quoted the section where you say why it's terrible to work with you. Yeah, I think it's important. I've I've tried to not disguise that, but I haven't been super explicit about it in the past. And I, Mm -hmm. I just need someone who finds that Shackleton expedition type description appealing as opposed to off-putting, you know, someone who wants a perfectionist, someone who wants to, someone who wants a person like me to edit the hell out of their work. Yeah. And, uh, so I found it very important, but so you you have them go through a simple coding test.
1: I like that by the way. I went to Antarctica last month, in yeah, the South Pole, and so I've been reading the Shackleton. I think it's the endurance book, yeah, such a
0: fascinating story so fascinating, yeah the for those people who don't know, the classified ad read something like seeking men for dangerous journey, return uncertain glory glory upon success. Something, pay, low pay. Low pay. Yeah. <laughs> harsh conditions. Yeah. Really. I had a friend who joked she should make that her uh, OK Cupid <laughs> listing. <laughs> right, the Tinder description. Probably get a lot of responses. Uh, so the, the code test, and then what happens? We do a trial
1: project. So basically, we don't actually, we're not trying to get code out of people or anything like that. We just do something that looks like the actual work. And we're not just looking at the code they produce, but how they communicate how they commit. Um, and that's
0: a paid project?
1: Uh, yeah, so we put everyone on just a flat rate, $25 per hour contract. Um, and for m- most people who apply have jobs already, so it's often a nights or weekends thing. Right. As long as the expectations are set, that doesn't matter. If you could only work one hour a week, that's okay. Just let us know. Um, some people actually take vacation to do it, so they'll take time off from their job and you know, kind of go at it full time. Um, If you're applying for a happiness engineer position, you'll answer tickets or do live chats. So um, we try to replicate the real position as much as possible. And then if they make it through all of this, um, they get sent back to me for a final chat. And that'll do on Slack now. I used to do it on Skype. And I just um, go back and forth with them, usually like three or four hours actually. Wow. Because you're typing, so it takes a little longer. And for that, I try to determine a cultural fit, um, Really get to know the person because I have a, afterwards I, like, let's say we're hiring an engineer. Uh, before I send the offer letter, I decide what team they go on. So kind of like the, what's the thing where you put on a hat in Harry Potter and it decides which.
0: Oh, I don't know. I know what you're talking about. It decides
1: which school you're going to. Yeah. So by which, yeah, right. By talking Hogwarts. to them, I'm partly determining like which team will they fit best with because the other 300 people in the company I've done this with. And so I know what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their personalities are, what time zones they're in. So really putting a lot of variables into deciding where someone goes.
0: Are there any simple questions that give you a particular amount of depth into someone's personality?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm constantly iterating the question list. And I'm happy to show it to you after okay. the podcast. But yeah. um, every interview is different. I'm just... Almost every single one, I try out something new yeah. or vary it or... What is your spirit animal? Um, what is your spirit animal? I mean, <laughs> obviously an alpaca. <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, it doesn't matter. And, you know, some questions I retire. And it's totally different. And it's not like a preset script or anything. Like, sometimes things go one direction and I just go with it. Um, but what? at the end of it, yeah. if decide to make an offer, we talk about compensation, and then I send out the letter. What
0: percentage of people fall out in that last chat with you? Falling out in
1: the last chat is pretty rare, especially now that the systems before it are so good. So the hiring teams have gotten quite, quite good at automatic. It's tough because hiring is not something that you get good at until you've done it five or ten times. And you've seen people work out and not work out. Right. So it's really just something that you need experience. So I, I tell people, like, when they go in this new role. I'm like, you know, in the beginning, you're going to make some mistakes and that's okay. We'll plan for that. Um, but then you'll learn from that and you'll triangulate. Do you have an opinion of top grading? Do you know anything about top grading? I find references completely useless. So, yeah, including when you go outside, what they give you as references and you try to contact people. It just, I haven't found any, it takes a ton of time and I haven't found any, uh, Sort of correlation with the ultimate quality of the person. So I heard about top graining and tried it for a few months. It wasn't worth
0: it. Didn't work very well.
1: I have an article I can we can put it in the show notes. Oh, i Har- Harvard Business Review where I wrote uh, kind of five or ten pages on this. Yeah, so that's a great whole process. piece.
0: Yeah, I would love to include that. I actually have that printed out because I'm an old man and highlighted. Oh, uh, cool. Which is a weird thing I do. Sometimes I'll print something out, take notes, highlight, and then rescan it back into Evernote to be OCR'd. Cool. Yeah. Which, uh, which I like a lot because I think better tactily. Is that a real word? I think so. Uh tactically, yeah. The, uh, what is the book that you have given as a gift most often? Hmm. Besides The Year Without Pants, which you can feel free to mention.
1: Oh, yeah. There is a book about automatic and wordpress.com called The Year Without Pants written by a great author, Scott Birkin. Um, tells a story about how it works. Uh, I give a lot of different books as gifts because everyone's different. So there's one by, and I apologize now because I can't pronounce anything because I just read.
0: I don't actually talk that much. Well, you were pronouncing crayons as crowns earlier, which, <laughs> crowns. which, which I thought was amazing. I Maybe. was like, crowns? What are crowns? Yeah, you and you're draw like, with you know, the crowns. thing the kids draw with was like, oh, crayons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know. But um, like, for example, I've given a few times uh, a book called How Proust Can Change Your Life by Elaine de Botton. Um Feel Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit is Ooh, one I've given. That's cool. What she's, is that about? Uh, I don't know if I can summarize that one actually. Ah, okay. It's the really one that guide you enjoy to getting lost. Yeah. Um, is Rebecca Solnit Why do I know She's that local name? actually. She is. That's yeah, why. I but know she's that. written she writes for New Yorker a little bit of everything. Um, the Effective Executive?
0: That's uh, a great one. That's Peter Drucker, right? Anything by Peter Drucker? So good. Is gold. So good.
1: And so I recommend that a lot in the company. Uh, Words That Work by Frank Luntz.
0: I I read that on your recommendation. Oh, did you like it? I did. Yeah, Um, that's, uh, how would you describe that? That's a former, or or current. Current,
1: yeah, he's like the
0: the linguistic head of the Republican Party. Right, so inheritance tax to death tax, or controlling the labels of a conversation and understanding what language works well for certain purposes. Really fascinating. So, and depending on how, if someone
1: likes that book, uh, likes that book, then I might point them to George Lakoff. Like, he has a great seminal work from the 70s called Women, Fire, and Dangerous Things. Or just other books about framing and language. Um, So there's, you know, there's a book for every purpose. And I find myself finding new ones. So, for example, last year I just started reading fiction again. I hadn't read fiction for
0: about 15 years. I did the same thing. Really? Any favorites so far? Yeah, I didn't read fiction for probably 15 to 20 years.
1: Um. There's one called "The Hard Boiled Wonderland" at the end of the uh, universe. Murakami. Yeah, that's, I really like. That's it. a quirky one. Yeah, and he has a lot of jazz references and things I like. Uh, the Mages. I have not read. Was that. a was a really good one, and I'm working through a few different ones now, like Shantaram and The Untethered Soul. I've just been trying to carve out more time for reading. The Kindle is the device that, even if I don't use it for a month or two, I'll still keep in my pack, and just because. I want it's it's aspirational, but when I can get in a good flow, I'll read a little bit every day. Sometimes
0: first thing in the morning, and that's uh, just my whole life is better. Well, you're the one who convinced me to get a Kindle. I don't know if you remember oh. we've gone we've gone on a number of trips together, Thelma and Louis style, and attended word camps in Greece and Turkey and uh, well, Vietnam was a trip for Room to Read, which is a great organization. But I remember in Greece, I had this backpack full of. Fourteen books, and I was just like <laughs> popping my, you know, my my discs in my spine, lugging this damn thing around. And you had your <laughs> tiny little Kindle Touch, and you're like, "How's that working out for you?" I was like, "It's terrible." Although, what you would do when we were waiting is you would actually lift it like a weight. That's true. That's true. I use my backpack. Uh, I have a I have a hemp backpack that's reinforced that I can use for. Exercises and swings and stuff. I remember Kevin Rose once when we were in, uh, we went to China on a trip for tea tasting. And uh, <laughs> I would wake up in the morning and I would do exercises. It was so hot there. I would do exercises with this backpack in my, you know, tidy whiteies or <laughs> like ex-visio <laughs> underwear. <laughs> and Kevin took a video of me doing upright rows in my underwear, which uh, I had to confiscate and delete, thankfully. Although I, I don't think it would do anything bad to my reputation because I don't have one to protect <laughs> at this point. I
1: think if you looked at a side by side, you have the backpack full of book muscles, and I have the Kindle muscles.
0: <laughs> That's true. Although to your credit, uh, you you did get into uh, physical fitness and kettlebells and so on. How's that? Uh, has that has that continued or is that is that paused for the moment? It has continued pretty well. You actually. look you look leaner than the usual. I shouldn't say the usual. That's not fair. Then (laughs) then Puffy Matt. And there's a Puffy Tim too. But I haven't seen you puffy in quite a
1: while. So, the thing that I started doing just most recently, this most recent summer, was running. And just kind of randomly. Like, I was in Italy and it was really pretty. I thought, no, let me try going for a run. And it killed me. Like, I barely made it like half a mile before I had a walk. And then it just kind of started building up. I think my next run was like a month later. Like, it wasn't like I was instantly attached, but. This um there's a guy in the company. He he calls himself the crazy running guy. And he <laughs> I think <laughs> I've met him. Who's this? Joy Joe Boydstein. And he actually or Boats Bo, Bo- sorry. Sorry, Joe. Um he started doing this thing where he'd land at the airport and then run to the word camp from the airport. So twenty, thirty for our grand meetup in Utah, he ran from Salt Lake City to Park City. It was I think fifty or sixty miles. That's insane. And so uh, at our grand meetup this year, which was in Park City, he ran little running workshops every morning. And so I went out with him. And He was like, hey, don't focus on speed. Try to do 180 strides per minute. So smaller steps, even if you're on slower. Focus on your heart rate. Like all these sort of different things. And it completely transformed me. Where before, I'd, my legs would always be really sore. Like my whole body would hurt after I ran. Even though I loved it. Like I was just in too much pain. I just slowed down and then started being able to go much further.
0: There's a really interesting guy named Dr. Romanoff. I don't know if you've ever come across this name. He, he founded a method of running called the Pose Method and talks a lot about the forward lean and using gravity to assist your money. As, uh, your money. <laughs> you could use gravity. If I could figure that out, that'd be <laughs> amazing. Gravity to assist your running as opposed to heel striking and pushing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some really fascinating videos of him running on ice, for instance, by wow. using that forward lane. Very, very cool stuff. So you might enjoy. I started the with method. the Vibrams. Yeah. Um, I switched to just some
1: super thin trail running shoes, but I still run more on the front or middle of my foot.
0: Yeah. You have to be careful with the minimalist shoes. You can really, if you get too aggressive in the beginning, particularly since the it's not just the impact on the soft tissues of the foot and the connective tissues. Most people who have walked with an elevated heel, even an inch, for a long period of time have uh, chronically shortened Achilles tendon. Uh, So suddenly when you stand flat foot and you're leaning forward on top of that to run, you can cause Achilles uh, tendonitis or tendinosis. Which is really painful. Really bad. Yeah, I've done that before. And
1: and it's true. Like for a while, my right Achilles was kind of sore. But I had a a friend, we were training up for a half marathon together, and he ended up really injuring his feet, which is tough because he's a fireman. So Mm. he's uh, my best friend in Houston, Renee so the um he ended up you got to be careful with this, so I know you're not a huge fan of running, I know it's high well, it's impact not
0: it's uh, it's not that i'm it's not that I'm not a fan, it's that uh I choose my exercise based on my objectives, and thus far, I have not found running to stack up favorably compared to other things I could see that, yeah, and I think that running is much easier to justify as a moving meditation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly it's fantastic for travel, but that's why I have my bag that I can use as a weight. Also, Uh, I would like to get better at running due to the Lyme disease and everything that I've dealt with. I have partial tears in both ACLs, both Mm -hmm. elbows and both hips. So I'm going to have to work up to any type of impact. So I'll start with, I'll start with uh, some of the calisthenics that I'm doing now. And then, Graduate to uh, low impact jumping rope. Oh, yeah. To to really condition the lower legs in particular. And then um, I'm doing long walks also as a way of, of, of conditioning the feet. So I'd, I'll do two to three hour walks very routinely and make phone calls, huh. batch my phone calls.
1: My f- I love when I'm in a new city and I can do a run. It's a great way to see the city. Oh, definitely. Because you're at just the right speed. I did one in Washington, D.C. a week or two ago. And it was just so cool. I felt like I was on an episode of House of Cards. Like I'm going past the Washington Monuments
0: and like the Lincoln Memorial and like running around the mall. It was so cool. That's what Bruce Lee used to do. He'd just travel with his running shoes. And when he first landed, he would go for an orientation run. Nice. So one of the first things I do in lieu of the jog or running is uh, bike tours.
1: Mm, so I'll do yeah.
0: sort of cruiser bike tours in any new city that I want to get acquainted with. Uh, I would love to ask a couple of questions that came in through... Uh, Twitter specifically, Uh, I am at T Ferris, two R's, two S's, you are? At Photomat, P-H-O-T-O-M-A-T-T, also a pun. Remember, you used to get your photos developed. Oh, I never noticed that. (laughs) Wow, you just realized that. I just noticed that. You are, I forgot you're the pun master. (laughs) And in Japanese, they call those which is dad <laughs> jokes dad yes. gags and you do puns all the time you have as long as i've known you <laughs> okay i should have known all right photomat that makes perfect sense so we've covered some of these uh joe Paulkowski asked asked about how you uh, acquired developers we, are, we already talked about that um uh, this is from andy vaughn uh would you still bootstrap Uh, versus taking angel money seed money a software tool like wordpress if you were starting over in 2015 why or why not
1: that's an interesting question i'm not sure if he thinks we're totally bootstrapped or that we've raised money (laughs) so the i'll say what we did and what i would do again Um, we bootstrapped for the first few months and then i raised about a million dollars this was automatic Uh, this is automatic yeah wordpress is a whole separate entity Um, So for Automatic, we raised about a million dollars in 2006, and that was, in hindsight, we didn't need it, but I'm glad we did it because I felt responsible for these other lives. You know, the other people who were sort of betting on joining this company that was run by like a (laughs) 20-year-old, and um, so I want to have some certainty. I want to have some money in the bank that said even if things went to zero, we all have a job for at least a year, so that's why we raised that first money. 2008, we had an acquisition offer for north of $200 million, even though we were just, I think, 18 people at the time. And so we used that to turn into a round and did about $12 million of primary capital there. And then we didn't raise money again until last year, 2014. So I was pretty anti-raising money, as you can imagine, for those yeah. six years that we didn't do it. How much did you Is it public how much you raised last year? We raised $160 million.
0: That's a, that's a big number. Was, <laughs> is the valuation public? Uh, it was over a billion dollars, yeah. It's also a big number, even bigger (laughs) number. Uh, If you were, if you were starting over again, developing WordPress, would you make a for profit entity like wordpress.com or automatic sooner?
1: Mm, Hmm. So it wasn't a matter of nonprofit and for profit. It was just a matter of not even thinking about it, loose amalgamation of random people working together, and then a for profit that came later. Nonprofits, I'm not as much of a fan of as I used to be. WordPress does have a WordPress foundation. Just the rules around them are mostly designed to prevent people from cheating on their taxes, which we don't care about, and they restrict what you can Meaning do. Meaning you pay your taxes. Ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning we pay, yeah. No, I'll just, pay taxes to the cows come home. Right. Um, so those rules to prevent abuse end up constricting the good an organization can do in a lot of ways. So I don't think I would start another nonprofit. In terms of raising money, one of the things that became very clear to me once I became CEO is the opportunity cost of Being as lean and sort of break managing the company to break even as we were. We couldn't do big acquisitions. We couldn't invest in infrastructure. We couldn't do a lot of things that make a lot of sense now. Like, for example, since we raise money, we're building out uh, 11 data centers worldwide. So for worldwide users of WordPress, it's going to start getting a lot faster because we'll be closer to you physically. Um, Acquisitions that we wouldn't have considered before, we're doing now. So, Got it. I would, you know, if you can... Set expectations correctly with investors and raise money on terms that allow you to stay true to your principles and remain in control of the things you want to be in control of. I think it can be, you know, I would highly recommend it. Um, but those shared expectations are really important. So I what,
0: think that what would be an expectation that's important to you.
1: Um, an expectation that we're not going to IPO this year, next year, the year after that. Like, it's not a priority of ours. Got it. Just time, um,
0: just agreeing on the timeline.
1: An example for us would be um, that we don't monetize Jetpack. So, you know... Could you explain for people what Jetpack is? Oh, sure. So Jetpack is a plugin for WordPress. So it gives you all the best of the cloud services of WordPress.com, things that, like, resize and optimize your images for whatever client is visiting, whether on mobile or desktop, um, things that auto-post your blog post to Twitter or Facebook, Pinterest, PATH, everywhere. Um, Stats. You know, this is all the things built into Jetpack. Um, That, for us, is really about getting more users of WordPress. It's not about charging for some of those features. And now Jetpack has huge amounts of usage. It reaches a very influential audience. An investor looking at the company might say, ah, if you just charge a little bit of money for this Jetpack thing, you'd make hundreds of millions of dollars. But we need to be on the same page that that's not something that we're planning on. And so... Nice to know you have the option all the same. <laughs> it's always good to have an option, but for me, the thing that's been best is just being super transparent and super upfront. I think it's true of relationships of anything. Like if you can set your expectations with your investors, that's what they appreciate. And um, you, know, you invest in a lot of things. I invest I in a lot of things. I I'm an advisor Automatic um, also.
0: Yeah. Which, I haven't, which, I'm, which I'm honored to be. It's been, <laughs> it's been really fantastically fun so far
1: there's an asymmetry to what you do because you will hear maybe hundreds of pitches for every company that you have invested in. So I find the smartest guys in the world. when you get to the very top echelon, they have perfect BS detectors. Yeah. It's much better to say, I don't know than to try to make up an answer to something you don't actually know. So, which is kind of refreshing actually, that just honesty and transparency is actually, even when you're raising at North of a billion dollars is the best policy.
0: Yeah such a fascinating landscape uh this is a question from chris saka ask matt if he will take you shopping for a badass suit i guess i should say a bad butt suit
1: (laughs) it's funny because i actually say badass i just didn't because you did this whole setup so (laughs) (laughs) i I was trying to set expectations
0: (laughs) if you i mean you have some pretty good suits i've seen you i do i have some suits but um i like suits because it removes all the decision making I don't yeah. like matching, I don't like picking out outfits that will match, which is why I like suits. It's either t-shirt and jeans <laughs> or suit. I do very little in between. If you are going to go for a suit, Tom Ford, Tom Ford is
1: the way to go. They're pretty amazing. Any particular suit? Uh, no, go into the store. They'll set you up. You know, your body type's different than mine. They'll, they'll find something that makes you look great, but they, they their cut is much younger, much slimmer, much... Um, more shaped in a way. I love Catone or Piana or like different folks, but they tend to be made for older men, to be honest. So I love their materials, but I end up tailoring them and recutting them. How did you get into clothing and fashion? Because it wasn't always this way. <laughs> um, I have no idea. It might have been the influence of uh, my good friend Om, Om Malik. Ah. You know, he he appreciates the finer things in life. And I think that, for, who created Gigom for people who don't know. Yeah, Giga He's a journalist, now VC at True Ventures. Um, and one of my best friends, one of the first users of WordPress, too. I think that, of course, in anything, like if we're talking about tequilas, if we're talking about glassware, if we're talking about microphones, like there is there's a spectrum. And you can go deep on any topic. And I find it fascinating, you know, when you meet someone. That's one thing I always keep in mind, like everyone is interesting. If you're ever bored in a
0: conversation, the problem's with you, not with the other person. Because 100% agreed. <laughs> That's what any good journalist will tell you also.
1: Yeah. It's just all about figuring out what someone's really into
0: or what they're passionate about.
1: And when you find those passions, it's just, I find it fascinating to like go deep on chicken raising or whatever
0: it is. So on purchases, what is the last $100 or less purchase that you made that had a very positive impact on your life? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is quite embarrassing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the gimp suit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I used to make so much fun of like Marin moms who wear Lululemon all day. But since I started running and working out more, turns out Lululemon is freaking awesome. <laughs> they make really great stuff. Now, it's kind of expensive. Like, right. it's definitely one of those places it's like shopping at Whole Foods where you walk out and the check and you're like, whoa, how did that happen? I bought like two t shirts and some sweatpants. But, um, super high quality. I love how the tags tear out, so there's no tags. A lot of the shirts are reversible, and I found, especially as I travel constantly, some of these sort of long-sleeve material shirts will be super super soft, super warm. I can run in them. I can sleep in them. I can do whatever.
0: Now, speaking of packing, I will link to this in the show notes, but you recently put up a post about what you have in your carry-on bag. That is a genius carry-on bag, I shouldn't say that maybe since I haven't seen the article yet, but <laughs> based on previous experience, you're very methodical. Are, what's the one thing people can do one or two things with carry on luggage that'll make the biggest difference in your opinion. Suppose
1: it's supposed to about my backpack. So it's uh-huh. about
0: the things that, I
1: mean, I brought my backpack here. I carry my backpack almost constantly. Um, especially being, what type of backpack is that? Uh, it's, that is very Indiana Jones. Oh, thank you. It's, it's from a company called hard graft. I link to it in the post. Um, it's leather. They it's it's a little pricey, but it's really good. I'll keep that for the next decade. Um, so, because I can work from anywhere, sometimes I have to work from everywhere. That's the downside. Yes. And you never know when an emergency is going to pop up or anything. So, uh, I tend to have within sort of a ten to fifteen minute radius um, the tools I need to be productive any place in the world, including if I'm in Antarctica, that might be a satellite phone. If I'm in you know, a different country, maybe that's a local MiFi or card. Um, and so I'm just constantly bringing things in and out. I was hesitant to, to do a post about it. You asked me to do a post about this years ago. I did. And I kept putting it off because it kept changing. So every time I'd start, I'd like take a picture of my bag, and then it would change by the time I wanted to email Do you,
0: you still use, I think it's called, well, this is, I have one right here. This is, since I am packing, uh, well, this is it technology by Cocoon. Do you still use these? Oh, wow. I still You've use got a the big boy. It. Yeah, I use a big grid it. But so this is a company called Cocoon for you people who can't see with clairvoyance what we're looking at. <laughs> it's a. It's basically a sheet. Mine is about 5 inches by 10 inches. Uh, Mine's 8 by 10, I think. Yeah, yours is 8 by 10. And it's uh, perpendicular straps of elastic that you can stick cables into, iPhones into, batteries into, chapstick into. As opposed to just having a big mess of stuff in 15 pockets?
1: I find my stuff always falls out. Like I just pulled it out and it was like half empty. So things are constantly falling out of it. I don't know if it's the way I walk or whatever, but I always put it back in. So the key for me, I used to lose things all the time. In fact, at one point I would lose my keys so much. Um, I've, I still have an old car, so it has a different door key and ignition key. So I made literally 15 copies of my <laughs> door key. <laughs> And I wrote photomat on it and then I gave it to all my friends and even like some random people I meet, like instead of a business card, I just give them a key to my car <laughs> with the idea being, yeah, you have randos. You when I lost run. my keys, someone yeah. would have
0: the ability or when I locked my keys in the car, we need to teach you how to, how to, how to jimmy your door. <laughs> we need to get you, we need to get you some, uh, some locksmith keys. I'm not sure if that's <laughs> legal. So, just, uh, within the boundaries of legality in your state or jurisdiction, uh, But yeah, so
1: I find that now I have places where everything goes. So my mouse, for example, always goes in the right front pocket of my backpack. And if any time something's not there, like I keep a bowl by my front door, keys always go in there. You keep a what? A bowl. A bowl, right. By the front door. Um, Anytime something's not in that place and I see it, it's a bug. So I try to put it in that place as soon as possible because otherwise I know I'll forget. And then... You know, I'm coming over, to, I have a meeting, I spend 10 minutes looking for my wallet because I just stuck it someplace. It's in the fridge or something, you know. <laughs> um, I'm always losing something. Actually, I lost one of our initial investment checks. It's a check for $400,000. That's not good to lose. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, investor Phil Black, who's actually still on the board today, and he wrote a paper check, like the kind that you would use at the grocery store or like for normal things. It's, 400, it's most money I've ever seen in my life. I was like, I was 20 years old. I was like, what
0: is this? I expected to be a check like a publisher's clearinghouse, you know, like the size <laughs> right, of a table that you could surf like a like a floating carpet from Aladdin down to the bank. <laughs> so we
1: raised. Luckily, the other investors wired their money because I misplaced this check and I was thinking, oh my goodness, like what do I do in this situation? Like, because obviously, like he could stop the check, but then he's just. Entrusted me with four hundred thousand, and I've lost it. Like, what's the most irresponsible thing you can do? So, like, do I tell him? Do I not tell him? Is he going to notice at some point? And months pass. Literally, months pass. He doesn't say anything. I don't say anything because you didn't want to ask him. I didn't ask him, and I'm going back to Houston for Thanksgiving. And I opened the book I'm reading, and I'd use it as a bookmark. (laughs) 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 And it kind of fell out of the book on the plane. I was like, Oh my goodness. That's quite, so like, that's quite a fine that's better than twenty dollars <laughs> in the pants you just washed and uh so first thing i did when i landed i went to the bank of america also i expected it to be like when you hit jackpot on like a slot machine like you deposit a 400 grand check like bells should go off like they should like <laughs> give you a glass of, of champagne or something but total non non non-event yeah. at this local branch of bank of america i just was like well, here we go like okay Goodbye. It's the most anticlimactic <laughs> thing ever. But uh, step aside, Syria people behind you. <laughs> I, I didn't. I told him like a year later, and he was like, "Oh man, yeah." He just hadn't
0: looked. <laughs> so speaking of big numbers, how the hell did you end up eating 140 or whatever chicken McNuggets? Why did that happen? 104. 104. I don't remember
1: how long ago it was. Probably about 10 years ago at this point, 11 years ago. But the Super Bowl was in Houston, Texas, hmm. and. Um, You know, I lived like a mile from the Reliant Stadium where they were doing the Super Bowl. And so I was watching, and as for the Super Bowl, all the McDonald's did a special where you could get 20 McNuggets for like $4. (laughs) And I was super broke at the time. And so I was like, man, I'm just going to stock up on these. (laughs) Like the way you might get like cans or, you know, things of ramen or like cans of Campbell's. Which I would do when they went on sale. I'll always buy a bunch of them. So I just like got a bunch of McNuggets, and then I just like, I love McNuggets, and I had to kind of like sweet talk the person so they gave me lots of extra of that sweet and sour sauce. Oh my god! And the McDonald's sweet and sour sauce is not like sweet and sour sauce anywhere else in the world. Like all sweet and sour sauce is red, and for some reason theirs is brown i don't know why you might it's been <laughs> genetically engineered to be as addictive as possible i don't know it's so good so i just started popping them and next thing i knew it was 104 so it wasn't even a bet or anything you just rampaged through 104 while watching the super
0: bowl that's incredible. It, was the su-
1: it was it was the super bowl where janet jackson had the wardrobe malfunction
0: yeah the the breast explosion sorry i missed that how was it was it gratifying
1: I was watching it with my family, and there was like this moment of silence afterwards where we're like, What just happened? I was completely mortified. And I think I had a laptop and the internet and Wi Fi at the time. So I was like, I'm going to, like, What just happened? Like, I'm going to go on the internet and see. And it turns out, like, what happened happened. Like, there was a wardrobe malfunction. And um, a good friend of mine was in the audience about 15 feet away from her. And, you know, there's all the theories that it was planned. Yeah. And she said she was so pissed off, like looked so angry.
0: She has, it it was not, absolutely not planned. Huh. I could have, yeah, I would have bet that it was planned. This reminds me, your shocking moment with your, your mortified moment with your parents of when I went to the movies with my entire family. uh, And I was sitting next to my brother and my parents were sitting on the other side of my brother, we went to see The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which I had read. My brother had not read it. And <laughs> those of you who have read the book or seen the movie will know there's one particularly <laughs> just mortifying scene. And <laughs> a minute or two beforehand, I was like, oh, yeah, excuse me. I have to go, have to, go to the bathroom. And I came back and my brother's like you fucker. (laughs) You you knew exactly what was going to happen, didn't you? And I was like, yep, yeah, I did. Sorry about that.
1: My identical story was Titanic, which is much, much tamer. But I, for some reason, went to see Titanic with my mom. I was like, oh, I think it's about to happen. That scene. This is the car scene? The car scene, or where he's drawing her or something. I was like, I'm just going to leave for a few minutes, and I hope it's (laughs) over by the time I get
0: back. Uh, To switch gears a little bit, when you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to mind, and why?
1: It's funny because he's getting totally panned in the press right now, but I think of Jeff Bezos. Why Jeff Bezos? Why, why is he getting panned?
0: I, I, uh, this is how I get
1: informed. Uh, the Fire Phone was a complete uh, flop. They wrote right. down hundreds of millions of dollars of inventory. Obviously, it didn't sell well. Um, and articles have come out since then saying how like he micromanaged the whole process and things like that. Um, I'm actually going to do a blog post about this. One of my favorite business books is called The Halo Effect. And it talks about... The case study they use is Cisco in sort of the 98-2002 time period. Um, and so when they were on the rise and one of the most valuable companies in the world, highest stock, everyone's saying John Chambers is genius. They acquire companies. They don't have to invent everything. They can you know, acquire dozens of companies and integrate them, and the competitors just can't compete. And then once they started crashing, again, nothing changed about the business, but the stock goes down. The same Sometimes the same writers were saying, Oh, it's a mishmash of infighting. They have all this like technology that doesn't integrate and they, they can't invent things. So they have to acquire it. So literally the same strategy is viewed in a totally different realm. And there's this halo effect. And there's a case study going on right now with Amazon. So a few years ago, everyone said how Amazon makes these big bets. They're willing to lose money for years and years. on something like the Kindle and just ruthlessly iterate over and over. Amazon web services, they go into places where no one says they should go. Um, the fire phone flopped, and now everyone's saying, ah, oh, these idiots. Uh, you know, this, the attention to detail becomes micromanaging, you know, the everything. But ultimately what I admire in the long term is Jeff Bezos has convictions around things. And he's going to be wrong sometimes. I don't expect him to be perfect. But I do expect him in my idolized mind to continue making those big bets. And he's probably not taking enough risk if he doesn't super mess it up
0: every couple of years. I totally agree and uh, just the story of I haven't read The Everything Store I would like to I don't know if you have excellent book yeah Uh, but uh, sounds like a good time to buy Amazon this is not investment advice consult your regulatory attorney and professional wealth advisor but it's when those types of sort of capricious judgments are made based Mm -hmm. on a one-off event especially in uh, well sometimes it's macro related sometimes it's just a single launch related. God, it's so funny how, how quickly people are to turn, although I will tell you, most of the time I don't believe the words as they're written on the page. I think they're huh. just journalists with a tough job, which sometimes I think borders on unethical, which is having to churn out a lot of content yeah. continually on an unreasonable schedule and to come up with insights that are, with rare exception, very, very difficult to produce on demand as aha moments once a day or five times a day or 12 times a day. So they end up regurgitating Mm -hmm. or rewording things they've written before.
1: And the people with the most knowledge about a given topic don't necessarily have any incentive to write about
0: it. Absolutely not. So do you buy and sell individual stocks? I don't right now. My personality, my uh, intestinal fortitude is not well suited to public (laughs) stocks. Uh, I don't like having the option on a daily basis To buy and sell. Yeah, I like doing a ton of due diligence, investing in, for instance, a startup, and then betting on a seven to uh, seven to nine year growth curve, or longer, or longer. Automatics coming up on ten. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not overly. That doesn't that doesn't concern me. It actually consoles me because it forces me to do more homework on the front end. I agree. Um,
1: I use Wealthfront. Mm-hmm. also an investor in, but yeah, we're both an investor. Sometimes I get individual stocks. Like if a, like MakerBot stole to a company called Stratasys. So I ended right. up with a bunch of Stratasys stock and it was really annoying to have like this minute to minute number that moves. Like that's the one thing I wouldn't look forward to with being a public company is well, raising money is hard as well because you're basically saying someone's saying your life's work. This is what it's worth. Right. <laughs> They're quantifying it. I can't imagine what it's like with the minute to minute, uh, vagaries of the market, public markets. Oh.
0: I'm so, I'm so continually impressed by people like Nassim Taleb or mm-hmm. many of the hedge fund guys out there who are develop a hypothesis about a a particular way to approach a short, a short sale or a short position. So they're looking at the subprime mortgage crisis yeah. and they're trying to bet on that happening or, the sovereign debt issues in Europe, for instance, and their ability to just bleed for extended periods of time with these sophisticated (laughs) option positions and function as normal human beings and be okay with losing money every while losing money every day and having people tell you you're an idiot. Yeah. uh, Where you, I just, I can't fathom actually handling that well personally. (laughs) So oddly enough, the binary nature of startups suits my psychology well, because it it's applying a constraint and removing decisions that I might otherwise botch emotionally. So I can be very highly rational on the front end and make a specific type of investment that precludes me from making stupid emotional decisions. And emotionally, you want to buy high and sell low. Like that's oh, definitely. If it's dropping, you're like, oh, I gotta get out of this. If it's rising, you're like, oh, it's great. I'm gonna buy some more. Are there any particular books on investing or books that you've read that have helped you think about investing?
1: Well, you said the, the man, uh, Nassim Nassim Oh, Nassim Taleb. Yeah. Um, You're the one who introduced me to The Black Swan, really? actually. I oh, was yeah. in Greece. I don't recommend that to everyone. I love The Black Swan. I love it. Uh, Fooled by Randomness, Anti-Fragility, his latest one. I love his book of aphorisms. Like his writing's been super influential on me, both in, in and of itself, and also in the works that he's pointed me towards. Because he makes a ton of, sometimes annoyingly so, references to other things. Yeah, but like he introduced me to Umberto Eco, and other you know really fantastic authors. So um, he's great. And then you know reading Warren Buffett's letters. I was. I know was you're going a big to mention, Warren Buffett friend, fan. I
0: wish I were a big Warren Buffett friend. <laughs> I am a big Warren Buffett fan, uh, and I know that name is is bandied about a lot by, of course, millions of investors. But the annual letters, getting it straight from the horse's mouth, as opposed to the second or third hand interpretations, is just phenomenal.
1: You know, something I can say, you asked about what we look for, for candidates hiring, um, clarity of writing. I think clarity of writing indicates clarity of thinking. Writing is honestly one of the hardest things I do every day. I'm very impressed. You've written a couple of books now. I've tried to write a
0: book. I can't, I haven't been able to do it. It's a very masochistic process. <laughs> I would not want to inflict on, on anyone unduly, <laughs> but I love reading about writers in the process
1: of writing, like bird by bird and Lamont or on writing. Well, uh, william zinsler um the ernest hemingway writing which i think i got from this podcast actually yeah um, that's, a, that's a fun one because when you can write well you can think well and so when i find obviously in warren buffett's letters the thinking is so clear and so that's something i look for in these sort of random emails we get or cover letters or resumes is it well written if someone's a great writer they tend to be a great programmer or efficient or something else so um again it's not everything
0: but it's a strong indicator so just a few more questions. Uh, the first is from, wow, Valur Thor. That is a fantastic name, sir. <laughs> what role will WordPress, spelled correctly, play in online content outside of the browser, example given mobile apps, APIs, et cetera, in the near future?
1: It's inside baseball, but a very good question. So there's been basically two waves in WordPress's history. Uh, we started as just blogging. Literally, just a blog. And you'd have the rest of your website doing something else, and then you'd plug the blog in, your WordPress. We'd span it to be a CMS. That was the second wave of WordPress. And then it started powering your entire site. So, And that's been really the past five or six years where we become almost like the dial tone of the web. Like if you're starting a website, you start with WordPress, and then you plug other things into WordPress, whether that's e-commerce, management, CRM, whatever it is. It's a plug-in for WordPress. This third wave that we're going through right now is WordPress as an application platform. So people are using the primitives and the uh, things afforded by WordPress's infrastructure, the things that we wrote to write a blog and
0: CMS to write other things. The primitives are the elements of the infrastructure that were used to create those things in the first place? Yeah. So think of a primitive as a basic building
1: block. Got it. So like a social primitive, one that Kevin Rosen invented, was like this embeddable button that lets you vote on things. Right. The dig it button, which is now the like button, the tweet button, etc., um that's a primitive in some ways. So we have primitives around user authentication, around content types, around caching, around URLs, around lots of things that if you're building something from scratch, you have got to do all this stuff. Right. So if you can start with WordPress, it saves you months. Um, not for everything, not for everyone. But if you know WordPress, it, you know you start um, I'm going to ask you a silly question 60 miles per hour. because I
0: like asking silly questions. Uh, as a as a non non-programmer, how does uh And I know it differs significantly, but how does that differ from, say, Ruby on Rails, what Ruby on Rails did?
1: Very similar. So people are using WordPress as a framework. It's a framework which does a lot, has a lot more things built out than like a Ruby might. Um, So think of it as the thing that WordPress does, built if what you want to build looks like that, so not a game, not a chat application, not something like that, if it looks like content, we've already. Managed more content than anyone else in the world at this point. So, right. um, using our data structures, using our APIs, it's probably the best way to go about it. What are some of the big companies or publications that use your platform? It's pretty much all of them at this point: Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, um, international papers, uh, new media, so GigaOm, TechCrunch, Recode, all the tech blogs basically. Um, yours i mean it's really of uh, the tech meme. I'm very flattered that you put me
0: in that <laughs> group to all those guys <laughs> but i, try, I try
1: if you look at tech meme like we'll typically power 50 to 70 percent of all the sites that are on tech meme in a given day um
0: tech meme for those people who don't know would you say it's fair to say it's a roundup of tech news from around the
1: web it's one of my vices we talked about vices earlier yeah, so dot yeah. com. it's um it's algorithmic and human it's the best tech newspaper in the world like it and it just links you to places. So almost like a Drudge Report, but so much better. Um, you go to the primary sources, so which sometimes might be not even news, like a TechCrunch or a Verge, but the actual person, like you or me. Oh, interesting. They'll I link to that.
0: the originals as well, which is really nice. What, uh, if you had to point a 20-year-old entrepreneur who's looking to start a company, let's just say it's tech for the time being, what two or three books or resources would you give to them or suggest to them?
1: I'm going to repeat with the effective executive or anything from um, Peter Drucker. He actually has one. I think it's called The Art of Entrepreneurship. It's got entrepreneurship in the title. Super good. Again, these are old now, yeah. you know, like from the 70s so timeless or 80s. so though. But they're so good. He's just one of the clearest thinkers about yeah. all of these things, about management, about entrepreneurship. When I was getting started, I actually really loved... Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki. I That's haven't good read book. it since then. Yeah, no, it, it stands up pretty well. Yeah, but it um, really inspired me. I think you should read the Four Hour Work Week. Just thank I'm going to plug thank you. you. Thank there you, sir. You and a recent one, like a brand new one. Um, I'll say two brand new ones. I'm sorry, you asked for three. Things no, like no, no. You, you can tip. keep going. You can keep going. Um, the hard things about hard things by Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz, pretty good, entertaining more than anything. Like I read that book, I was like, I would never work for this guy, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, entertaining and some good lessons. And then Peter Thiel's Zero to One. Zero to One. I thought was excellent.
0: Zero to One is great. And people should definitely, if they find that interesting and they are going into tech, I think try to read the original class notes as well. Yeah,
1: by Blake Blake Masters, Masters, I believe. Exactly.
0: They're really just tremendous.
1: All of these guys, I mean, don't take them as gospel. Like, disagree with them. Uh, Interpret it in your own way. Um, There's some people who I admire quite a bit, like, say, Mark Andreessen. Uh, when we first pitched them, the whole meeting was about how distributed companies were a terrible idea. <laughs> and he was like, well, what do you know that every other tech company that's been big in history doesn't? The Facebooks, the Googles, the Microsofts, the everything. And so why should you do something different? Um, and it turns out it was a good meeting. I thought it was a terrible meeting. I thought it was the worst meeting of my like, entire career. Turns out that's his style. He challenges you and sees how you respond. But... Um, You know, sometimes going against the orthodoxy, doing the things that other people can't do. I think of it like business judo. What can we do that, you know, Google makes tens or hundreds of billions of dollars more than us. What can we do that we can't do? Well, they're set up best to work in an office culture. And we're set up best to work in a non-office culture. So we can get the smartest people in the world who sometimes leave Google because they want to live in Salt Lake City or Adelaide, Australia or someplace else. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. But... Um, they're just as good as anyone inside the Mountain View offices, but they just don't happen to be in Mountain View.
0: It's like the, it makes me think of the book, the starfish and the spider in a way, uh, particularly with the open source component, right? Open source isn't going to, the open source WordPress isn't going to die. Uh, even if, even if automatic were to cease operations, uh,
1: what even to this day, we compete with people 10 times our size and 10 or a hundred times our capitalization. Uh, In 2014, one of
0: our competitors, Squarespace,
1: spent north of $45 million on advertising.
0: They did Super Bowl advertising, didn't they? Yeah. They're going to do more this year. That's expensive. But they had to.
1: Yeah. You know? That's the only way they can get customers. Where Because we have this community. Because we have these uh, hundreds of thousands of developers all over the world. Because we have um, the sort of intrinsic, I think, goodness of the software. uh, We don't have to spend advertising. In 2014, we spent about
0: a million dollars on advertising. And that was mostly events. You do love events. I love your events too. They're very well done. Thank you. Uh, okay, two more questions. If you were sent to desert island and you could bring one album, I've asked a lot of book questions. I'm trying to come up with something else. One album, uh, one album, and two other items that were non-survival related. What would they be? album's really tough
1: there are some really perfect albums out there like i think radiohead's OK computer it's like just a perfect album and it works as an album the individual songs don't work as well or like a a frank oceans mixtape ultra nostalgia like there's some of these that are just so good kendrick lamar's good kid mad city you gotta check out Kenji Kamar. I know
0: you're not as into the hippity hop. No, but. that's not true. Okay. If it's breakbeats or danceable, and I like the lyrics, I'm all for it. Like cool. Eric B. and Rakim, and that ilk. How old are you? Sixty-seven. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. But there's, there's some new guys that are super cool. No, too. there are some good guys. I, what I don't like is the homogeneity of a lot of the beat structure mm. that has been sort of commoditized for top forty. That not stuff totally. makes me insane. But if it's if it has some unique Flavor to rhythms, it, yeah. All for
1: it. Yeah, you like Kendrick Lamar. Um, so w- probably one of those albums. And if I have to pick one, I'll pick a jazz one. Uh, Sonny Rollins' Saxophone Colossus. I could listen to that album the rest of my life and learn something new every day. Uh, in terms of other non-essential items that aren't books, I'm not going to say a Kindle or an encyclopedia <laughs> or something. Uh, a 50 millimeter 1.4 prime lens okay, is the lens I would take to a deserted island. And I burn easily so probably an umbrella or
0: something (laughs) you and I bond over that (laughs) I thought I was the only human who didn't tan but alas (laughs) hark Matt Mullenweg Uh, last question if you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice one piece of advice what would it be slow down slow down why
1: we talked about it with running earlier Like, slow down to go further. Um, I think a lot of the mistakes in my youth were mistakes of ambition, not mistakes of... Sloth. Sloth. And um, I think building foundations, building things that last for the long term. Obviously, some of that's happened, but um, some of it I think I rushed through. Education, I definitely kind of squandered. You know, even when I was in high school, like, they put great books in front of us, like The Great Gatsby, or... Thucydides or something. And Thucydides I dug into but like others like Fitzgerald, I just kinda did the bare minimum to pass the class or pass the test. When now I would kill for the luxury to just like really sit down with one of those books and dive into it and discuss it. Um and so just slowing down, whether that's meditating, whether that's taking time for yourself away from screens, whether that's really focusing in on who you're talking to or who you're with. But as I've aged <laughs> I, I know it sounds ridiculous don't button, hear it, but like but yes
0: um it's interesting because i had a lot feel of success like you're living in age, dog years though i mean the <laughs> amount of experience you compress into each year is unbelievable i have a lot of, i had a lot of success at a young
1: age was it intimidating because you sometimes think am i ever going to top this or did i peak at 20 or 21 when i was doing polyphasic sleep and writing these new things and everything since then's been downhill um you wonder about impact on the world but ultimately it's funny that now what i care more about is a lot narrower it's like the people who you love and the people that love you and you don't always choose either of those right sometimes you can't help you fall in love with life would be so much easier if you could (laughs) that's true and you don't always choose who falls in love with you and but there's a responsibility in both and really focusing on those people i find has contributed more to my happiness than almost anything else
0: I think that's a great place to end. Matt, where can people learn more about you, find you on the internet? Uh, MA.TT for my main blog on
1: WordPress. Uh, On Twitter, I'm at Photomat, P H O T O M A T T, I'm on pretty much every network. Follow me on Spotify. I share some cool stuff on there.
0: Awesome. All right, sir. Thank you so much. And uh, we shall polish this off with another small glass of sipping tequila. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks for coming over, Matt. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. To find links to Matt's Spotify, to the music, to the books, to everything that we talked about in this episode, just go to 4 com forward slash podcast. That's 4hourworkweek, all spelled out, F-O-U-R-H-O-U-R, workweek.com forward slash podcast. And if you like this episode, there are others that you can find there that I think you would enjoy, including, for instance... Uh, Ed Catmull, who's president of Pixar, we had a fascinating conversation about the power of storytelling and how they built that company. You could also find an episode called How to Think Like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, which is an interview with Peter Diamandis, chairman of the X Prize. This one was massively, massively popular. You can find all of that and much, much more at fourhourworkweek.com forward slash podcast and podcast. As always, I try to put bonus content, videos from these guests, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash timferriss. T-I-M-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.
3: Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile. And get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home. Yes, cool. Or attending one live. No!